Listen to the beat of your heart, Marianne. You hear the beat of fear within you. Fear that will rise to a shattering crescendo of terror. You have strayed into a world of evil, where frightened people are held in the grip of unearthly horror. Beware of pity for the handsome prisoner in the Castle Meister. Beware of love, for in your heart is only the pulsating throb of terror. Hello and welcome back to Scream Addicts Hammer Pub. I am Jinx, your co-host. I'm sitting here with my co-hosts, Allie Chapel and Paul Farrell. And for you listeners out there who have been waiting, well, for us to return, <laughs> to you it's only been about two or three weeks. But what you don't know is that we had actually banked episodes about eight years ago. So uh, that, that's been about the length of time that all of us have gotten together. So in a way, this is kind of a reunion episode. Am, am I right about that, Paul? Allie? Allie? Paul? This is kind of a uh, kind of a reunion of sorts? It is. It's like we haven't seen each other in a while, and it's now we're all grabbing a beer. Yeah, it's, well, it, it's been not, a long not, eight years, but I'm beer. happy to be back. Not, not beer, per se. But, uh, but I, am I, drinking. I am drinking a beer. Uh, a Sam Adams old Fezziwig. Ooh, a Sam Adams. Uh, it's fancy beer. It's, it's a Christmas beer because I'm I'm just jumping ahead to Christmas because why not? Well, everybody November, does. You have to. Yeah, exactly. Starting to horn in on the Halloween season, you know, like October twentieth, you start seeing the lights go up. You start seeing all the Halloween decorations just kind of shuffled off to the corners in the stores. It's a uh, I don't know, man. I I don't know about you two, but my spooky season felt like it was all too abbreviated. Uh, I, I was raring to go. I had all these plans. I believe I told you two that uh, I was going to watch all of the Universal Monsters movies, and uh, I didn't do a damn thing. It was 85 degrees throughout the course of, like, all of October. It was warm as hell. I was busy searching for a job. I was writing articles like Mad, and just, you know, the... Well, last year I didn't have the option to enjoy spooky season. This year I did, and I just let it slip on by. Am I even a horror fan, really? It's a hard question to answer. I, I think you probably are. I mean, I would assume you are. I'm a poser. Be honest. <laughs> uh, aren't we all in some ways? I know I am. I'm a poser. So I don't a... really like horror. This is all been a, this is all been a ruse. <laughs> You're just a really big successfully pushing everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, I here's the thing. I would love to regale our listeners uh, with all of the cool stuff that I did over the course of the past four or five weeks, but I didn't do a damn thing. Now, the flip side of that is, is that I'm not sure Allie has been sleeping. Allie, <laughs> can you clue listeners in on what you've been up to since we last recorded? Well, uh... I starred in two feature films, and on top of that, I directed my first feature film debut, which I also starred in. So that's been a lot of work on its own. Then I got to do a guest appearance at the Frightmare in the Falls convention, which was fucking awesome. It was so cool being on the autograph row. I felt like such a little celebrity, even though, like, I didn't have lineups, like, Felicia Rose. Oh, my God. Felissa Rose did. Um, but also, she's just so perfect. And then on top of that, I had to do a 10-photo set for an upcoming uh, book, like an anthology book. So I had to be, like, the title page for, like, every single story. 
And I have no idea when that's coming out, but hopefully, hopefully soon. And then on top of that, I am like 60 pages into a new script that I started writing like two days ago because inspiration hit. That Okay, so let me get this straight. Three movies you've acted in. One you directed, which is your feature film debut as a director. You did a photo set. You you. I know that you did like loads of uh, uh, remind me what it was like horror themed recipes for oh, every yeah. single day of October. <laughs> you you, awesome. you were part of a convention. Like I feel like the biggest underachiever, and I have to imagine that Paul might be right there with me. Paul, was your October was your spooky season just as uneventful as mine? Like nothing major happened to you at all whatsoever no Just... yeah it was fine um everything went well uh no that's not true i'm lying and also yeah ellie ellie is amazing and i don't know how she does all of those great things but it, it feels cool to be uh able to say i'm a friend of hers because that makes me feel cool by association um i, I... have little packages <laughs> coming your way soon Yay. Paul, uh, one day soon, buddy. Like, it's just uh, going to be you and me on this podcast again. <laughs> and we're going to be trading on all of the We Knew Allie Chapel with. We, yeah, she is the co host with us before she was directing the new MCU movie. Um, but no, so I, I did direct a short film uh, yeah. for my little, uh, my little homespun film festival. So I did manage that. Uh, and, and it's. And, damn delightful i genuinely oh. loved it oh can you oh. send it to me i want to see thank it. you uh yeah yeah I'll, I'll send you the link it's it's just a little thing it was like a trick-or-treating thing. i wanted to make a, a very halloweeny feeling thing and uh with my kids but uh so that was fun um but no unfortunately halfway through october right when my vacation was supposed to start i was doing some work around the house outside and i fell uh like it like the old man that i am and I landed in the exact wrong position and broke a bone in my wrist. Uh, the first bone I've ever broken. Uh, and it's a specific bone that helps regulate blood to your hand. And as a result of that, I had to have surgery to put a pin in there to hold the bone together while it heals. So that was a whole thing. Um, the, the, fun, the real interesting thing is when I broke it, I just kind of did the thing where I was like, I'm sure I didn't break it. It probably just really hurts. <laughs> And I like got some ice and I went to bed. I just went to bed that night and I woke up like every 20 minutes in agonizing pain. And it finally got to the point the next morning, at like 7am. I was like, I need to go to a hospital, I think, because I don't know how I'm going to function any longer with the amount of pain I'm in. And the doctor was kind of floored that I uh, made it as long as I did. He was like, you broke this a couple hours ago, right? I was like, I broke it at 9 p.m. last night. He's like, what? Uh, But yeah, so anyway, uh, yeah, I had to have surgery uh, that laid me up for a couple days. The surgery, unfortunately, occurred uh, two days before that film festival. So I was riding high on medication uh, for that particular (laughs) event. Um, but luckily it was, you know, I, I didn't do a big one because of, uh, COVID stuff. My kids weren't vaccinated. Although one positive, my kids are signed up for vaccination appointments. Uh, so they will both be vaccinated awesome. next week or this week actually. Yeah. So that's really cool. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So now I'm on the road to recovery. I am in a cast. Uh, I have to be careful not to move it. And in December, 
fingers crossed, I'll be able to go to a splint and start physical therapy. So that that is the my exciting uh, thing that happened in spooky season. It was very spooky. Breaking my wrist. <laughs> Fucking <laughs> hell. That's terrible. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, so you my brother... have, like, metal in you right now. Like, you are... Forever. You're... You are only about three steps removed from Christopher Lee and the Curse of Frankenstein. My, uh, a weird thing, my seven, my seven-year-old daughter often says very strange things to me. She's really funny and quirky and, and, and wonderful, but, um, every once in a while, these strange thoughts occur to her and she was having a tough time wrapping her mind around the fact that there's metal in me now. And she was like, so there's metal in you. Like, are they going to take it out? I was like, no. She's like, so it's in there forever. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, so like. If they just burned your body up, oh and my there was God. nothing left, would the, there just be a piece of metal there? That's all that would be left of you? I was like, well, yeah. What are you planning? <laughs> oh Why are you asking me these questions? I think but, your kid uh, might be planning to kill you. I think so. I, 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 well, you know, possibly. Uh, but she, uh, yeah, she's basically getting at the only lasting element of me now is this piece of metal. I think, I think that's the only like eternal component of my being is the metal that's in my wrist. So, so maybe in some ways it's extended my longevity in this, in this plane, perhaps. Well, I'd like to think she's not necessarily planning your murder, but looking like a good 40, 50 years into the future, like she might cremate you and keep that metal as a trophy. There you go. (laughs) I like that. Yeah, a little <laughs> little trophy. <laughs> a little creepy uh pendant you can wear around your neck. But how um, big is it? How big is the piece? It's pretty small. It's <laughs> it's it's very, very small. because uh, the bone itself is pretty small. Um but yeah. He said but there were he, he said there were twelve bones I could have broken, and that was the worst one. <laughs> <laughs> That was the exact so words purging. the guy told me, and I was like, you know, you you could you could improve your bedside manner, bro. Like, yeah, there's, there's better ways to tell me this. Oh <laughs> but, my uh, lord, yeah. that's that's it's awful. I'm sorry to hear, man. Oh, it's all right. You know, I'm getting, I'm, I'm, I've, I've accepted it. I'm, I'm embracing it. I'm moving forward. You're embracing. And, uh, sorry, I'm embracing. Yeah, good. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> All right. Uh, speaking of moving forward, we uh, I should probably go ahead and clue listeners in as to what in the hell is happening with this episode, because if they found this episode, they're going to see the title uh, as being. Oh, do I even want to get into this? They're going to see the title as being Brides of Dracula, which is a marvelous film that Paul and I already covered in an early episode of Hammer Pub way back in the day. Now, I think we had actually discussed here and there uh, what happened to our original recording of Brides of Dracula. Paul, we have discussed this before, right? Yeah, I, th- well, I think we discussed it on the the redo, like when we redid it. Yeah, <clears throat> okay. So to clue listeners in out there, if you don't know what happened back in the day, Hammer Pub used to be a podcast called Getting Hammered with Hammer, wherein myself and Paul, we would take turns each week designing a drinking game and designing a drink or, you know, making a drink. Uh, and, and basically as we were doing the typical hammer pub commentary, uh, we, we would just drink an unholy amount of alcohol and, uh, I would generally get far too personal. Paul would have to talk me out of some dark places. Uh, we would slur to the point of like, just to an incomprehensible degree by the time the final act of the movies rolled around. And it all culminated with an episode, uh, (laughs) 
where it, uh, I chose to drink. It was uh, Midori Margaritas, which because of the beautiful green glowing color, I dubbed, uh, I believe, Reanimatoritas, and I still love that. Uh, but we did The Curse of the Werewolf, and those margaritas nearly killed me. And uh, so we shelved the podcast for a while, and then it came back. Sammer Pub. Now, around that time, I think, as a matter of fact, if you go by Hammer's filmography, uh, you can see things got a little out of order there. But when Paul and I were still chugging along, uh, one of us got so drunk that he forgot to save the episode to his desktop. And as a result, and because we were banking episodes, it eventually expired and we lost an entire episode of Getting Hammered with Hammer. And it was the Brides of Dracula episode. Not going to say who it was. But uh, I, I mean, don't want to don't want to point any I think, fingers. I think we know who it was. It's fine. You know, I wasn't going to tell on you, but uh, I did. <laughs> it was my bad. I lost an entire three hour episode or two hours or two and a half, whatever the hell it wound up being. Uh, I remember the episode being an absolute blast, but I couldn't remember a damn thing about it otherwise. And the funniest thing happened about two weeks ago. I was rifling through a bunch of old emails, kind of cleaning up my Gmail because it's screaming at me every day that I'm running out of storage and it wants to sell me more. And what did I run across but a file that I'd emailed myself of that long-thought-lost episode? So this week, as kind of a post-Halloween treat, we are presenting... The original recording of Brides of Dracula, which is not a Hammer Pub episode, but it is a Getting Hammered with Hammer episode. So you will get to hear, once again, Paul and I uh, uh, becoming dangerously drunk <laughs> while rapping about a Hammer movie that we loved. Now, rather than just presenting the episode by itself, uh, honestly, uh, one, we've been away from one another for so long, all three of us, that I just wanted to catch up on all of our recent watches. But two, at this point in Hammer Pub's history, it would feel wrong presenting a new episode without Allie being a part of it. So we are recording this intro. Uh, we're we're going to catch up on some movies we've watched, and, uh, and then we'll go ahead and just uh, pass you along to the, I think, year-old episode? I think it's a year-old, over a year-old, maybe? <clears throat> Something like that? It might be... 13, 14 months at this point. But Sounds in any case, right. yeah. uh, it's going to be, you know, if you caught up with this recently, this is going to be kind of a new experience for you. Just kind of roll with it. and We'll be back uh, uh, next week <laughs> with something a bit more normal. Uh, we'll have to look and see what that is exactly. I, I, again, I forgot where the hell we were in the lineup. I think, what are we doing? Is it uh, Captain Kronos? Is that next? I think. Is it time? Is it time for Kronos? I think Kronos is nearly upon us. Yeah. So we're, uh, we're gonna we're gonna be rocking out the Chronos soon, and it's we'll be back to normal then. But for this week, we're we're gonna be getting hammered with hammer one last time. But before we do that, we're going to run through the many many movies that we have seen over the course of the last five or six weeks in the midst of spooky season. And I gotta tell you, like I'm not gonna go first, Allie. I'll pass it to you here in just a sec. But uh, one of the things that was so exciting about the spooky season before it actually hit was, you know, the, this impending renaissance of all of these like older characters that we've loved in the older franchises, even if they weren't all that old, but have been gone for a while. And I remember the sort of budding excitement, you know, uh, in the horror community, people going like, oh, my God, can you believe that we're getting we're getting Candyman again? We're getting Halloween again and Chucky. And I know what you did last summer and paranormal activity. 
And Chucky is great. Chucky's really, really good. Chucky, yeah, I'm liking it. Yeah, Chucky. Chucky came through. <laughs> but hard nope on I Know What You Did Last Summer TV show. Oh, that fucking thing. Oh, we're my gonna, God. We're going to talk about that a little bit, Allie. Because I, I didn't watch you. it. I just didn't watch it. Good. I didn't have any time for that I, shit. I saw, you know what? Instead of watching it, I just read our group chat. I just yeah. read, like, <laughs> you and Allie talk about it. I was like, I feel like I've seen this show now, so I don't need to watch it. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, actually... You know what? I'm going to pass it over to you, Allie. Allie, if you want to start with I Know We Did Last Summer, or if you want to choose something entirely different, it's off to you. Oh, my God. I'm going to start with something good. Uh, I just well, I don't know if you guys have seen it yet. Um, I just watched Antlers. Oh, I really want to see it. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. It's okay. Then I won't spoil anything. But like, it's really fucking good. And like. The kid actor whose name I should probably learn is like, oh. Like, I obviously know he wasn't hurt on the set, but, like, he's just so frail and skinny, and he just looks so malnourished, and it fits the character so well, and he just plays this little broken boy so well that I'm like, oh, my God, I want you to be okay. I want you to have a home and a family. I love you so much. And, like, Carrie Russell was phenomenal in it, and what's his butt? Jesse Plemons, uh, Mr. Kirsten Dunst. He, I think this might be one of the best roles he's ever done. Like, it was across the board such, like, good acting, creepy story, like, really awesome effects and, like, the creature design. Like, because obviously it's not really a surprise, but it's about a Wendigo. And, like, ooh, so good. I really need to see it. One thing that's kind of surprised me, I'm glad that I haven't really come across any spoilers, but to me the marketing made it look like that sort of, you know, like it was riding the line between magical realism and horror that a lot of uh, Guillermo del Toro's movies do. And, you know, the fact that it was directed by Scott Cooper, who has never worked in horror before. You know, he did Crazy Heart. He did, uh, was it Out of the Furnace, the Christian Bale movie, which I actually quite liked. Um, you know, but one thing that I'm hearing from most people is how astonishingly violent and brutal the film is, which I didn't get from the marketing, but. Which I think is like it's a good thing because I went into being like, oh, this is going to be just another like sad, tragic kid story. Then you watch it and you're like, no, there's way there's way more going on in this story. It's violent and brutal, and there's like this, like you know what happened in the backstory, but they don't talk about what happened in the backstory. So you're just like, oh, there's there's a lot of emotion in this movie. Like it's so good. I need to see it, uh, Paul. How about you? What are you uh, What are you pulling up first? <clears throat> well, I haven't seen Antlers, but I'm really uh, excited to see it. I actually had passes like pre-screening passes to see it and I couldn't, I couldn't end up going. So I'm now extra disappointed that I didn't. Um, this is really hard, uh, because I've watched like a hundred movies since we last talked. So like what <laughs> to mom. tell you about is like, <laughs> I mean, I could just pull a name out of a hat. I guess I'll go with, I'll try to focus on like newer stuff. Um, I watched the new slumber party massacre. It's fun. Did you guys see? So you saw that, Ellie Jinx? Did yeah. you see it? I have not. I gotta admit, I'm not the biggest fan of that franchise. So I, I, I know a lot of people like this new one, but all the people that I'm hearing from that like the new one also seem to like the older ones. And so I'm, it's just not my bag. So yeah, I get that. Um, I mean, for what it's worth, what I'll say, and uh, full disclosure, I, I do like. Um, so Slumber Party Massacre Three is not good. But I really like one, and I think two is a lot of fun. 
So that's my opinion on those original three. I, I like one. I think two is fun. This movie is like almost nothing. I mean, it it's remake in name. Very okay. It's not name only because it does have a killer with like a big drill, and it has that iconography. But it has like nothing to do. Yeah. With the original movies. Like, it could not be more different. Um, and I loved it. I would say my hot take is, like, it's probably... If I had to do a top ten horror list right now, it would be top five for the year. Uh, Easily. It's just Easily. funny and lighthearted. It's but super... Violent. Oh, sorry, Ellie. Yeah, go ahead. No, it's just... It's, like, it's funny and lighthearted, and, like, it doesn't take itself seriously, and it just... Mm-hmm. It, it's a lot of fun to watch and you're still like, well, we're going to see a lot of blood. We're going to see a lot of grease and stuff. And I just, I love that whole cabin full of dudes. I thought they were hilarious. Like with guys oh, yeah. I too. I thought that was so fucking funny. Yeah. It's, it is brilliant. It, it's, it's like, brilliant. it's one of the best like male gaze subverting slashers mm. ever. Like it, it, it honestly, and I feel like this is going to come off like a slight and I like this movie. But it kind of feels like a better version of Black Christmas 2019. And I like Black Christmas mm. 2019. But I this think, but I still agree with that statement. I, right. I like that movie. I know I, I'm I'm in the minority. I know a lot of people don't like it. I, like I liked it, it too. I like it, but I think this movie is doing exactly what that movie wanted to do yeah. in a much more enjoyable, functional package. Um and it's it's just it's really smart. It's really fun. It it's yeah. It's a great. It's I mean it's a movie I'm gonna watch again and again. Like I'm I'm hoping for a physical release. I know it's a sci-fi thing, um, but yeah, it's it's great. I loved it. I can't recommend it enough. I I thought it was out of all the new movies I've watched this Halloween season, it's probably my favorite of them. And I I mean, and I I didn't. I have to say. I watched a lot, and we'll probably get into them. I watched a lot of movies that a lot of people have sort of elevated very high that I kind of walked away going, it was good, but it didn't – there there were some that I expected to be like, oh, these are going to be like these amazing movies. And maybe that was the problem. Like my my high hopes had gotten really high for certain things. Whereas like Slumber Party Massacre I went into and was like, okay, this only needs to be fun. And then it was a lot more than that. And so it it sort of maybe kind of exceeded my expectations where a lot of other ones kind of didn't meet them. Um, <clears throat> Halloween kills. <clears throat> uh, but no spoilers. Yeah. No spoilers. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, but yeah. So anyway, uh, it's really great. Really fun. Uh, I would recommend it. Awesome. I will. Uh, I, I may check it out. You may have you may have won me over. So I'll, I'll give I think it you should. I think you should. All right. Uh, you know what? If we're going to focus on stuff that we're positive about, I'll go ahead and talk about Chucky. Um, I, we're what? Like four episodes in at this point? I adore this show. Uh, it's everything that I wanted it to be. It's I, I was a little afraid, uh, you know, taking the character, sort of transitioning him from, you know, feature films to television. I thought that there was a chance, especially given that it was a... Um, you know, kind of a co-production between sci-fi and USA that they were going to water it down, you know, that dragging the story out to something that was more episodic in nature, you know, it would just, 
I honestly, all of those fears were unfounded and they should have been from the very beginning, knowing that Don Mancini was going to be at the head of all of this. The guy who has piloted the ship from the very beginning. Um, my hats off to him. How this guy has continued to take this iconic horror character and continually provide new audiences with great jumping on points without sacrificing the continuity uh, you know, so that old fans can come in and be rewarded for having stuck with the franchise entry after entry after entry. And now, you know, going on into the television series, I, it's just, it's fucking great, you know, and the series itself, I think is a perfect extension to the movies. I, Brad Dorff is as fun as ever. Uh, I, I love that he's keeping some of the trickier elements of the mythology in place from the previous movie, which admittedly is probably my least favorite installment, but it had a really fun central idea as part of it. And then, you know, we're introduced to a brand new character to sort of take us through and introduce us into that world again. Um, and I, I don't want to get too spoilery, but there is, okay. So there's a young teenager who comes into possession of Chucky this teenager is bullied pretty pretty mercilessly at school, and, well, Chucky is kind of the devil sitting on his shoulder and slowly coaxing out this kid's uh, burgeoning rage. And uh, whether or not that means this kid is going to become a killer or not is kind of the, uh, you know, it's the big question that the series posits. And, you know, we... He's such a sweet kid in so many ways, but he's obviously dealing with some... Uh, anger issues too. So you, you're kind of watching like a battle for this kid's soul episode by episode. And uh, unfortunately there isn't really a balance to Chucky's, uh, 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 I don't know, effect on the kid as it were. Uh, and it's great. It's, it's fascinating. You know, they, they haven't brought back. I know the marketing kind of run the fact that, uh, Tiffany is coming back. The, uh, and on top of that, you know, I think we're getting, uh, Nika, uh, Fiona yeah. Dorf's character is coming back at some point yeah. too, which I love that character. Um, you know, they haven't gotten that far yet, uh, but obviously like Andy's going to be coming back at some point, which is great. Um, and I can't wait, I can't wait for all of that stuff, but I got to say, you know, even when I started the first episode and I wanted to see all of those fan favorite characters again, now I'm so completely invested in the lead character's story. You know, this kid's story that, I'm good without those characters, you know, not being center stage. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm totally on this kid's side and I'm, I'm fascinated by where it's all going. And I will say like one thing about the show that's so fucking smart is that there is a bully in the show that is not necessarily who you would expect to be a bully uh, as we're in, in, in a show like this. And the writing is so smart in that they are able to present the bully in such a way that they are truly awful, but still human. There are these little notes, these little brush strokes of humanity that are given to the character that make them three-dimensional. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I could ramble on about it for another hour. I'm not going to, but my hat's off to it. If you're even remotely like a fan of anything Child's Play related, uh, please, please seek out the show. It's fucking well worth it. And it feels like the biggest budget the series has had since, like, Seed. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. It, it definitely feels like it has a bigger scope than, uh, was it, Curse and Cult. So, uh, yeah, yeah I, I love it. I love it. Don Mancini. It's, 
phenomenal. Yeah, I'm I'm so happy with Chucky. I it, yeah, it's it's and it's not a series I ever would have thought like would work as a show. And then I saw that pilot episode and I was like, oh yeah, this makes perfect sense. And it's and it and it's kind of a story you need a show to, to tell that story effectively. You know, you really couldn't condense that to 90 minutes and have it be as satisfying as it, it more than likely will be as a show. Yeah, and I love that they're using that extra time to not only, you know, uh, take its time with telling the lead character story, certainly, but also now with the third and fourth episodes, we are starting to dive into uh, Charles Lee Ray's background, like in his origin, which is not something that I felt like, you know, generally when it comes to movies, you know, or at least iconic horror characters, the less said, the better about where they came from. Right. But there's something so icky and so fucked up and so fascinating about who he was as a child, even that uh, I think it just makes her a great addition to the series. So. Yep. Cool. Yeah. All right, Allie, on to you. Um, I watched this movie last night. It's not a new movie by any means, um, but I'd never seen it before. And it might be my new favorite thing in the entire world. It's called <laughs> uh, Time After Time. And yes, it, I love that movie. Yeah, the Malcolm McDowell one. Yeah. With, yes. Oh God, yeah, where he's just, he plays H.G. Wells, who invents his own time machine, but then his friend happens to be Jack the Ripper and travels yeah. forward in time to the 70s, and so then he has to chase after him and make sure that he doesn't kill any sex workers. <laughs> it is ridiculous. Mary Steenburgen's character is just so funny in her, like, directness and, like, Constantly telling Malcolm McDowell that she's, like, horny and that, like, he should just come over now. And, yes, stranger, we should hang out later. And, like, it's just, it's so cute. I did not know this movie existed literally until yesterday. And it's my new favorite thing. I have to buy it. Is there a Blu-ray? Yeah, there's a Warner Archive Blu-ray. <laughs> Heck, yeah, I'm buying that. I need to pick that up. I, I adore that movie, too. I had heard, I want to say I even saw a trailer for it, but it's been ages since I saw it. Uh, wasn't there going to be a remake or a television series, something based on it. it. It did not look great, but I, I I would have watched it just because. I think they've flirted with a remake multiple times um, from what I've heard. But that movie is such a good time. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Ellie. It's just, it's so fun and so ridiculous. And it's, it's. It knows exactly what it is. Like it, it allows itself to have fun with the premise a little bit. You get a lot of good. I mean, who doesn't love a fish out of water story too? Oh my god, it's like, so great watching Malcolm McDowell does not understand. Yes, what, like yeah. needing ID to sell jewelry and like. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Oh, now I want to watch that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I love that movie. I need to see it again. I I need to pick up that Blu-ray. I definitely need to pick up that Blu-ray. Yeah, but also good. just looking at little baby Malcolm McDowell, I'm just like, oh, you're so young. Yeah, and it's like one of the rare Malcolm McDowell roles where he's just this sort of like likable guy, you know? <laughs> he's just he's this so like likable. Buff, this befuddled, nice dude who's just trying his best. <laughs> yeah, and then him and Mary Steenburgen and go on to like be married for a decade. Like it's just mm-hmm. it's cute. It is cute. I agree. I love it. Uh, okay. Yes. Um, 
On May 12, 2016, the ABC Television Network announced that it had picked up a Time After Time television series to air in the 2016-17 television season. The series executive produced and written by Kevin Williamson was was canceled after only five episodes. Kevin Williamson remade Time After Time. It exists? Like it's out there somewhere? There's five episodes? And nobody told me about it. Yes, I gotta watch episodes. that. Yeah, okay, where can I find these? Where's my other laptop that I do my, my secret work on? <laughs> there was, and one of the directors on it is uh, Marcus Siego, who did like Dexter and True Blood and Veronica Mars and the Vampire Diaries and the following. What the hell? Ooh, is it going to be like a sexy show? Wait, a... which which episodes of True Blood? Because some of that, that could be a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> well, that, that's true of all <laughs> of the shows that I just mentioned. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I have no... I Yeah, so I think they produced like 12 episodes and they aired five. Um, and it doesn't look like it's gotten a physical media release, so I don't know oh, what that's the my hell. New, that's my new grail. Finding that show. That's amazing. I'm going to have to just watch this and see see what it tells me. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. So Kevin Williamson, son of a bitch. All right. Uh, Paul, how about you? What do you want to talk about next? Oh, man. Um, what do I want to talk about next? Uh, well, I guess since Allie did an older movie, I'll do an older movie. And... Uh, Elvira's Haunted Hills, I could talk sure. about. Oh, I'll talk about, I will talk about that. I'm going to do a lightning round at the end and talk about like 10 movies. Uh, but I will talk about now Killer Party. I watched Killer Party from 1986. Have, have you guys seen this? Heck yeah, I've seen it. Did you like I it? Never. I, I had never seen it. I've always wanted to see it. I, I've seen this cover. I remembered the cover to it from like the video store where I grew up. It's like a dude dancing. It's like a two people dressed in formal wear to dance, but the guy's hand's like a skeleton hand. And it says Killer Party under it. Um, and it's sort of provocative. And I just remembered that cover. And uh, and I had never seen it. There was never like a good release of it. And then Scream Factory put it out. So I was like, ooh, this is, this is my chance. So I picked it up. And uh, I fucking love Killer Party. Killer Party is it's another fun phenomenal. Movie. Yeah, it is. It is like it's one of those movies. You know, I heard it was a sorority slasher from the late '80s, so I was like, "Oh, I really hope it's like." You know, when you picture a great late '80s slasher with all its over the topness and silliness, but it also has good kill. You know, just kind of exactly what you want. And I put it on, and it was just that. It was like the thing I imagined was a real movie. It was just, it was a wild ride. It's incredibly over the top. It's a slasher, but it's also like this weird supernatural ghost thing. Like, it's like all the things, all the 80s horror things thrown into this like sub 90 minute movie. Uh, It's very silly. It's very strange. Lots of decisions are made in it. Um, The scares are incredibly dumb, but it's, but so much fun. Uh, it is just, it's exactly the kind of movie you'd want to watch in October. Um, and yeah, I I had an absolute blast with it. I, I can't recommend Killer Party enough. All right. I'll have to check it out. I uh, By the way, I just sent you both pictures from the TV show, and now I'm thinking it might not be, uh, maybe no hurry. 
on trying to find it. I hate that. Because <laughs> oh, I'm, no, I'm looking like at a buddy cop movie. That's I'm not what you're supposed to do. I'm yeah, looking at pictures awful. of like two handsome young like yeah, model no, dudes. Neither and... of them look like they could be H.G. Wells. Are no. they even in high school yet? Like, <laughs> what the fuck? This guy invented a time machine? I don't really buy that. Neither of them. Why is he wearing, like, cool kid mid-2000s clothes? Like, I feel like H.G. Wells would, would definitely not look like that. I'm angry. I'm Yeah, no, I'm over this. I'm mad. Now I'm mad. I, this has been a wor- like a roller coaster. Yeah. <laughs> Emotional <laughs> roller coaster in this last couple minutes. Oh, it's <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thank I you just for let distracting me from Killer Party. Killer Party's great. Mm-hmm. The, the killer uses a guillotine. <laughs> like what? How does that? Imagine the setup that would require. <laughs> I so like an actual honest to god guillotine. Like yes, a like a full size guillotine. <laughs> you have to set it up. Why get the is... person in the guillotine? And the, yeah, well, there's a lot of like close up magic stuff. And like, there's a magician thing, but there's also ghosts. It's insane. I, and every character, it, it's the kind of movie where you watch it and you feel like you watch a scene and then someone like cut out two scenes and then you go to like three scenes later and you're like, well, wait, why are these two people friends? Like he's (laughs) dating her now. Like, it feels like the movie was just cut to shit, which maybe it was, but it kind of, it adds to the enjoyment of it being like a weird 80s slasher. Like, it, it shouldn't make sense in some ways. Like, that's kind of the charm. I don't know. It's In any other movie, it would be, like, unforgivably written. But, like, here, it just is fun. Rock on. I, uh, okay, so I'll tell you what, gang. Um, before we dive into the final movie, Paul, I know you said you wanted to do a lightning round thing. So the three of us, let's just go ahead and throw out a bunch of stuff that we've watched and basic thoughts on it. And then we will... Uh, We'll we'll tackle the the big one, uh, but Allie, uh, real quick, what have you? What else have you seen that you would like to let people know about, or you know, maybe like to warn them about rather? Oh my god! I literally just saw a film in theaters. What did I just go and see? <laughs> it was memorable. Last night in Soho. Was it last? Yeah, night in it Soho? was last night in Soho. All that movie, yes. It, I don't know if it counts as horror or whatever, but like it's visually very pretty, and like I liked a lot of things about it. I think the story could have used a bit of work, but I mean, it's it's stylish as fuck. It's very Edgar Wright. Where does it rank for you in the Edgar Wright filmography? Well, I mean, knowing that he did like Shaun of the Dead and all those movies, like it falls pretty low. Okay. That was my, my thought. Okay, yeah, that's my thought, too, because I thought it was going to be a lot more fun, but it just felt like you, you didn't stay with one character enough to really kind of give a shit about their story. Also, if, like, whatever the girl who's in college pulled, she would be expelled. She, like, pulled a knife on a student. Like, that's that's expulsion. Why did they let her stay? <laughs> I loved it. Um, I don't like it. It's all good. I don't hate the movie. I, I lo- no, it's, what's <laughs> weird is, is that... uh. You know, when I watched it, I, I, you know, I love the style. I love the look, the music, the, the, the feel of that era that sort of uh, resurrected. Uh, I really love the lead. Uh, and I loved her story and her journey and the fact that we can't fully trust 
what she's seeing. You know, I love that. That's sort of yeah, and she's kind of dealt with. She's yeah, she's brilliant. She's uh, oh, is it Thomas and McKenzie from uh, Jojo and Rabbit? Rabbit and old, and old, yeah. And so, Jojo Rabbit is one of the best movies ever made. Continue. It's truly one of it, the best movies ever. It's literally one of my favorite films of all time. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, the 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 movie. I gotta say, like, I really liked it. Um, as I was watching it, I, I was enjoying it, but at a certain point it felt like, I was like, you know, this movie isn't really gripping me in the way that a lot of Edgar Wright movies do, yeah. whether they're more straightforward or, you know, comedic or it doesn't matter. Like usually he, that guy can get a, I mean, fuck watching, uh, the minute and a half long don't trailer, you know, is gripping in its own way, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and there was something about last night in Soho that kind of kept me at arm's length. Until the final 15 minutes and the final 15 minutes pull this marvelous sleight of hand where it makes you realize that you you think you've been watching one type of movie and it's a movie that you've seen many, many times before. And I'm wondering if that's maybe the issue that I had with it is that, you know, we expect Edgar Wright to put the Edgar Wright spin on things. And, um, you know, last night in Soho for the bulk of it, it feels like a type of movie that you have seen many, many, many times before. You know, the the nature of the haunting, as it were. When you get to the final 15 minutes and the movie kind of pulls its its magic trick and, you know, the rabbit comes out of the hat and you realize that you haven't really been watching the movie that you thought you were watching the entire time. Uh, I It elevated that movie to... I don't know if it's my favorite Edgar Wright movie, but I do think it's one of his best. Uh, that that ending so completely gripped me and recontextualized everything that had come before. And what it was trying to say, ultimately, uh, was, was just sadly very timely, but also kind of timeless in its own way. And ain't that in the movie. Um, it just gave it such a weight by the end of the movie that it, it, it felt like a fucking sledgehammer in so many ways, like stylistically, emotionally, like, you know, the, the sort of cerebral impact of it all. I, uh, I, I went from thinking the movie was pretty good to walking out fucking clapping. Um, so I, I can't wait to see it again, knowing what I know about the finale now, uh, because I, I get the feeling that first two acts are going to play very differently on, uh, on repeat viewings. For sure. I'm like, I'm going to watch it again because it had a lot of things that I liked about it. It just felt, it felt like an incomplete thought. I can, I can see that. I, I, I get it. I can see it. But, ah, oh, fuck, I loved it. I loved it so much. Yeah. Uh, what else have you seen? Uh, anything else you want to throw out there before we, we go to Paul? Uh, I power watched the entire third season of You. Because yeah. I love trashy shows. Is it good? Because I'm only like two episodes in. Uh, this is definitely out of the three seasons. It's the weakest season. They one they swear way too much, and it takes me out of the story. Like this isn't the kind of show where you're supposed to be like swearing a bunch on. So it just feels weird that they're constantly dropping f bombs. And then they use Scott Speedman for like seven minutes in total throughout the entire season. So it's like, why is he even here? Is he going to come back? Because I don't think he's coming back in the next season. Like. That guy, he's always yeah. getting the short shrift. I don't understand. Like, dude, and he's so talented, and like, he's even good in this for the you know brief moments we get to spend with his character. And I'm like, I want to know more about him. Why don't we get him? I where the fuck is he in Underworld? The last two movies. Why did they write him out? What the hell is going on? 
right? Is he like secretly a dick and we just don't know? Why did the strangers kill him at the end and not live Tyler? Maybe he is a dick. Who knows? Maybe he's uh, a dick. <laughs> spoilers for the strangers. Yes, for a 13-year-old film, oh, my apologies. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> um, Allie, anything else? Um, and then I also, because I've been watching all of Succession, I rewatched Jezebel with Sarah Snook, that little New Orleans Bayou horror. Very cool. I, I you pointed it out too. Like she's so amazing. I loved her in uh, Predestination. Which I is, love uh, her Predestination. Like the the performance and what she has to do in that, and sort of the handoff in performance between two actors in it is I just fuck I love that movie. It's so good, and like you have to watch it more than once to fully comprehend what is happening in that movie. It's it's good. Okay, so. I'll ask you this then. Uh, we'll, we'll dive into Predestination, which is a six-year-old movie for two seconds. Uh, there are three actors, three main actors in that yeah. film, essentially. How many characters are there? Are there two or are there one? There's there's one, right? Like, they're all just different. There is, yeah, there is a big hint that the third character who is not the lead is also... No, because you're talking about, like, there's, like, the older guy, and there's Ethan Hawke, and then there's Sarah Snook, but they're all the same character at the end of the day. Right, well, yeah, but is it, or is it not? Because we never see how the third character figures into that closed loop. So when they talk about it, is it one character or one iteration of that character trying to fool the other? Or are they telling the truth? Like, that's what I love about the movie, is that we don't quite know how that works. Yeah, that's true. Fuck that movie, like, fucks me every time I watch it. I'm just like, God, this is a perfect film. Yeah, it is. It really I've, is. I've never seen that. <laughs> and now it's, I'm curious. I don't even know how to describe it. It's like a time travel movie that involves, like, switching genders. And it it's all... kind of a murder mystery. It's a sci-fi <laughs> flick. It's sounds right up my alley. I'll have to pick it up. And it's from the I'll Spirit Brothers, the who, did, uh, who did Undead and... Uh, shit. The Ethan Hawke vampire movie. I always forget Daybreakers. the name. Daybreakers. I always want to say Daywalkers. I, I also I haven't seen movies. either of those movies. Oh, Daybreakers <laughs> oh, is so good. Paul, Daybreakers Paul. is good? Okay. Fucking hell, Paul. Daybreakers is amazing. Daybreakers. And is they also, really? even though it was kind of a work for hire, like everything that they'd done before, um, Undead, Daybreakers, and Predestination, that was all stuff that they wrote and directed. But they directed um, Jigsaw. Oh okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't hate. I didn't hate Jigsaw. Jigsaw Did, was. I'm, I'm sorry. Didn't hate Jigsaw, Paul. You were. You were. You were all about Jigsaw for a minute. Jigsaw. Well, I mean, like in comparison to the other Saw movies, yeah. Oh, now <laughs> you're pissing on the Saw movies after they no, won. No, I. I like them. <laughs> you, you. You've gone back to apologizing. Like for liking them. them come on man i have to uh, like I remember like i don't remember my rankings anymore i have to look it up but i do remember jigsaw being high on my list all right because we... actually jigsaw was one of my favorites wasn't it yeah Yeah. never mind i like jigsaw a lot i remember <laughs> i got i got confused you're all over the place you don't know what you're talking J about I, saw three is my favorite then jigsaw then saw two and then I'd have to look again. Spiral, maybe? Is that no, I think I like Saw 6 more than Spiral. Okay, fair. 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 Yeah. And then Spiral. 
All right, we are nearing the witching hour, Paul. We're we're. I'm just gonna have to race through all mine because we still need to talk about the big movie to hand. But real fast, Paul, just throw out some titles. What you saw in your uh, impressions, okay. and then I can I cannot do that if you want. No, to no, just... rattle it no, off. No, 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 no we're gonna do it. Films you watch. All right, okay. Um, all right, I watched the. Well, I'm just gonna do one, like a few. I'm not gonna do everything I watched. No, I'm every... gonna avoid. I'm gonna avoid ones that I've seen a million times. Uh, so. I watched There's Someone Inside Your House on Netflix, which was half of a good movie. <laughs> and I don't know. I I don't know. I just felt like I felt like the first half was really interesting, creating this like sort of interesting dichotomy between these identities seen and unseen and like reflecting like the complicated reality that is like the blind eyes we all turn in the face of like beauty and talent and just like fitting in. But then the latter half just kind of becomes like slash like normal average slasher fare to me because it, it kind of suffers from a lack of focus. Like ultimately, don't you think it would have been better if the movie had honed in on one like grand shared history it was trying to tackle as opposed to all these like disparate storylines? And then it, it could th- I feel like there's a missed opportunity with uniting the secret keepers and providing sort of an avenue for that big fiery finale that would have landed with more weight had it been like interconnected as it was, it just felt like it just felt like it didn't have a thesis. It felt really scattered and it didn't land for me. So I liked it, but I was disappointed in it is what I would say. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, Elvira's Haunted Hills. Very fun. Perfect. A, a delightful, a delightful movie. Uh, and absolutely something worth talking about when we do our post hammer talk, when we do like our hammer inspired comedies talk, cause that movie is like a hammer horror movie. A hundred percent. Have you guys been reading her book? I haven't read her book yet. No, I have oh. to, it's, it's on my list. All right. Continue. Sorry. I just wanted to interrupt with that. No, you're fine. I just, I, I, I really like that. Uh, Disney channel, original movie under wraps remake. <laughs> uh, which is about a kids who befriend a mummy. Uh, the the original Under Wraps is one of my all time, absolute all time favorite Halloween watch movies. I adore the '90s Under Wraps. This is a 2021 revisioning of it. Uh, I thought it was good. I thought they did a really good job. I mean, the the biggest problem with the new Under Wraps is it's basically shot for shot the original movie but that's not a bad thing if it gets more people to watch it and shows it to a new generation of kids it brings in new technology it kind of gives the kids cell phones and has the fucking mummy playing around with an alexa i mean that's funny so i enjoyed it uh i i think uh under wraps is a movie that horror fans should check out it's on disney plus uh so that's under wraps i watch vhs 94 uh on shutter uh it was fine <laughs> I don't know. It's a fine movie. I mean, it's fine. I, I don't know. I think if you could walk away from a VHS movie and say it's fine, then that's kind of a win. Uh, because I don't feel that way about most of the VHS movies. I will say uh, the segment in the middle of the film. Uh, oh, my gosh. Which director was it? Um, uh, the one was that's. It, oh, go ahead. Was it Timo Shijanta? I think it was Timo's. Is that the one? Uh, refresh my memory. Is that the what's the one where they're like? It's a weird body horror one where it's like a, a mad scientist like building weird yep. machine people. Yeah, that's him. Yeah, that that's like a true visionary 
piece of master like horror mastery and is worth sort of watching the whole movie just for that so yeah that was fun um i watched a movie that i'm pretty sure jinx really really loves uh called censor you love that one right Jinx? oh that's one of my my favorites of the year yes i liked it yeah i thought it was good um it didn't fully come together for me in the end i didn't it reminded me a lot has anyone here seen random acts of violence yeah it reminded me of that where it's it has this kind of thing where it's dealing with what is the effect of this stuff like like when we make a you know that movie's about a guy who writes a comic book about a serial killer based on real serial killings that then sparks more killings and there's this sort of overarching question of you know where does the responsibility lie is there responsibility is there blame you know blah 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 um and the problem i had with that movie uh it's one of the most violent films like i've ever seen it's crazy um not to talk about a different movie when i'm supposed to be talking about censor but i think censor does something similar where it's you know it's about these people who um are critics on the you know british board of review who are rating and judging which movies should be banned and which ones shouldn't um and our protagonist is this very sort of stuffy uh, stuck up woman who is incredibly harsh on these movies but ultimately allows a film through that causes this horrific act of violence and then she sort of takes a fall for it um and i won't spoil where the film goes but i really really liked it but i don't know that i love how it ends up and i don't know if i understand i i think the problem is i feel like the messages get really muddy in movies like that where it's like what is it trying to say um because ultimately where it lands is kind of you can't really talk about the ending without spoiling it so i won't but i i just didn't love where it all went so for me it was like a really well-made movie that had an interesting sort of premise and i liked watching i definitely enjoyed like the idea of like this underground filmmaker and his crazy movies and you know what they mean and um but i just i don't know that it like came together for me if that makes sense welcome okay yeah all I, right i did like it um oh you want me to be done <laughs> no well i i we right. we have nine minutes <laughs> oh okay sorry no we can keep going afterwards it's fine i apologize no, uh, no, I can I can be done. That, I said a lot of movies there. The, uh, let me do one more. What happens next will scare you. Ooh, uh, was that good? It's on my list. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, Jimmy George, uh, Chris Lamartina, uh, their new movie, "The Guys Who Brought You," WNUF. Um, it is a, a horror anthology. It's I like I like the premise. It's it's a. Uh, it's people who work at like a clickbait site uh, who are all called in late one night in uh, Halloween season to make like a top 20 top 20 scariest links you'll click kind of thing. And they're and the site's about to go down because they're losing advertising revenue. So this has to be really good. So the editor is like challenging them to find the scariest random videos online. And so they all have to go present their scary videos to see who's going to end up in the article. Um, that's kind of the the wraparound for the anthology element of the of the movie. 
what's fun about that is it allows for them to do a ton of different segments. So instead of a, a traditional anthology where you're getting like three stories or something, you get kind of like 10 or 12 very little snippets of things that then all sort of coalesce into something else. Um, you know, admittedly, you can you can tell the budget, you know, uh, is low. Um, there are things that are a little rough around the edges. Um, it definitely doesn't have the eternal appeal that WNUF, I think, always will. But I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really fun. I think horror fans will really dig it. Um, and I thought it was pretty smartly done. The effects are pretty impressive given the scope of the movie and, and what they had to work with. And uh, yeah, I, I backed it uh, on uh, when they did their Kickstarter. So I got one of the DVDs. But yeah, it's it should be coming available more and more through VOD. I know it played a bunch of festivals. I, I definitely recommend uh, horror fans check it out. Good deal. Okay, I am going to hold my stuff until next ep. Let's go ahead and dive into Halloween Kills. Um, Allie, what what uh what did you think of uh? Like, what do you think of old Halloween Kills? It truly feels like the guys who made Pineapple Express gave us a Halloween movie, and that yeah, which, which they it, did before, but well, this that, one, it didn't work. Yeah. That that's kind of what I said. It's like when you watch the when you watch that first one, knowing who wrote it, when you're like, oh, David Gordon Green and uh, oh god, and what's Dan his face? McBride and Jody Hill. Yeah, and Danny McBride. Like, yeah, you're like, oh, they wrote a Halloween movie, and you watch that first one, you're like, oh, that's crazy, and you watch this one, it's like, oh yeah, this is exactly what I think they do. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah it is. Um, I remember I watched it at midnight. Uh, the the evening it premiered on Peacock because I couldn't wait till the next day to get to a theater, uh, and I watched it and I I you know there was already some buzz surrounding it that it maybe wasn't wasn't that great and uh, yeah I I even even with my expectations firmly in place it was uh, pretty disappointing um, I I look the movie is a mess it is a complete mess it's a the plot is a mess. The performances are all over the place. The I talk about themes like I don't know what the movie is trying to say. Actually, let me take that back. I believe that the movie doesn't know what it's trying to say. I think the movie thinks that it's smart as hell, uh, but it's not actually. It reminds me, weirdly enough, of Children of Men. Uh, it, it's a movie that uh, presents a scenario. <laughs> And yeah. Hear me out. Hear me out. I can make this yeah. shit work. I'm just laughing because I feel like you're probably the first person to compare Halloween Kills to Children of Men, I'm, I'm which by all accounts is, uh, and I'll, I'm going to tell you this up front, I adore that movie, so watch your words, sir. Uh, I think well, Children of Men's amazing. You, you, and you're welcome to. Um, but no, Children of Men is a movie that is beautifully made, has marvelous performances, um, and just the, the 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 technical aspects of the movie, like some of the shots they pull off and the wonders and everything, like the the it's it's so marvelous marvelously constructed. But on a story level, like it, it's a it to me that movie is um, you know it's a filmmaker saying, but what do you think it's about? But as a movie, like it's uh, I, I it presents a scenario that it could be rife with meaning. And uh, it doesn't do any fucking work to unpack any of it or 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 
sort of explore what it could mean. And instead it just coasts on the possibility of what it could mean. And as a result, like I, I think the movie thinks that it's incredibly intelligent, but in fact, it's, it's dumb as a sack of hammers. Uh, and that leads me to Halloween kills, which I think is a movie that thinks that it's probably really smart simply by virtue of the fact that it's dealing with mob mentality uh, and, you know, sort of the, uh, the, well, that's the thing. I want to say that the movie thinks that it's about like the, the, the after effects of trauma, much like the previous film was, but it's not really, you know, it's just, that's just the characters. That's just where they're at. The movie doesn't do any work whatsoever. And not only that, if it wants to believe that it is about mob mentality, then you can't also justify said mob like i there is maybe 10 minutes in the film that separates a sequence that passes judgment on people getting riled up and wanting to lynch you know i honestly i there might have been a pitchfork and uh, a torch in the background in one of the scenes i don't know there was definitely uh, an iron there was, there an, was iron. an iron yeah but there, you an know, iron. There, there is a there's this feeling like the the and plus the movie emotionally is manipulative as all hell you know it it knows when to crank the soundtrack and the mournful music and to kick in the slow mo right um like let let's tell the audience exactly what to feel and obviously there's a moment where it condemns the mob right and then 10 minutes later it wants us to pump our fists in the air for the exact same mob who didn't learn their lesson doing the same fucking thing. Uh, now we can say what ultimately happens to that mob could maybe be some sort of cautionary, you know, take, but, but no, no, I, I'm not even going to give the movie that. No. Um, that mob had a chance to redeem themselves at the end. They know what they needed to do and they didn't fucking do it. <laughs> and then the same thing too. Like there's, there's this idea. Oh, I have so, like, I have a lot to say about that ending. But oh, go ahead. Okay. I'll I'll wait. I'm gonna wait and I'm wait, gonna talk okay, after you guys are done. <laughs> I have a lot. I have a lot on my mind. And I think it's icky as hell that you you like the big sort of like light dawns moment for one of the characters is that and look, I know that Michael Myers is supposed to be the representation of all that's evil, right? But at the same time, this this movie took great pains in the previous installment to say, hey, no, he's he's just a man, right? There, there's nothing mythic about him. He's just an escape maniac, right? So I find it really fucking troubling, especially, number one, given the time that we're currently in, like the, the sort of cultural temperature that we're, we're, we're currently basking. One, and two... The, 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 and plus there's a great podcast called Halloweenies that has already covered this movie and its many yeah. faults at length in a brilliant way. But uh, previous guest Mike Vanderbilt uh, is on it and it's, it's a marvelous listen. The, the podcast I think is damn near four hours long and it's worth every minute. But they pointed out that one of the truly icky things about the movie is the fact that, you know, much like the previous film, which was kind of touted as a very much a me too movie, which I was willing to swallow back then. You know, now, like, you know, and maybe I shouldn't hold it against the movie, what some of its participants, uh, uh, you know, how they're choosing to market the film. But it is kind of icky that you have, you know, members of the cast trying to draw parallels between fucking Halloween kills 
and like Black Lives Matter and, you know, the 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 sort of marches, uh, you know, in 2020. So, you know, taking into account those two things, the fact that the big revelation that a character has who's ostensibly meant to be a hero in the film, albeit a bedridden one, uh, the realization that he comes to is that he, as a police officer, should have executed a, a prisoner you know, who who was in custody. Like, that would have been the good thing to do. In a movie, that is telling us that, that mob mentality is a bad thing, but also maybe not. It's just, it's such a fucking mess. I can't fully enjoy the movie on, on a surface level because it's a mess. I can't appreciate anything that it's trying to say because I don't think it knows what it's trying to say. And maybe the thing that pisses me off about the movie the most is the fact that much like children of men i think it's very <laughs> pleased with itself i think it's doing like i i really believe the movie feels it's doing men thing. all sorts of uh you know marvelous wonderful things like it, it's so weighty and it's so much isn't it just so much better than your usual run-of-the-mill slasher movie because it's trying to tackle all of these weighty themes isn't it just great that they got <clears> in there and they just fix that subgenre? gang isn't it because it's not it's really not i gotta tell you for filmmaking craft alone i will say that there's a huge gulf between the movies for me but when it comes to my own personal rankings of halloween movies the two sitting at the very bottom are halloween resurrection and a step above it it's halloween kills first of all that's wrong sorry halloween resurrection definitely goes higher up on the list no no man no okay now i want to hear ellie talk about it and then oh I'll talk. God. I have things to say, but I want to hear Allie first. So <laughs> we decided to, to, this was our splurge movie. Uh, and we went to the, do you guys, I don't know if you guys have it in the States, but we have a thing called D-Box here where like, if you pay a bunch of extra money, your seat will like move and vibrate. And it's like, it lets you be in this. It's fucking stupid. But we, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I mean, do we, we might, I've never heard of it, but it Here in the could States, very well oh, yeah. be a thing. Yeah. And yeah, there's like, one in uh, Tampa. Would, I think. Like, oh, okay spray air at you if you were like flying through the air or it would like like those little air air gun things where it's like if an arrow shoots past your face it would like blow air really quickly oh really like, so it's like 4d it's like yeah it's like a 4d experience and it's because i've rode those rides before for a movie like halloween kills where it's not a roller coaster or an action <laughs> film or be on a plane like you the chair moves with footsteps you're just like awkwardly going aggressively side to side as other people go side to side and oh, like no is so right off the bat that was that was a bad call on our part and by our part i mean Chris's part but it's i felt like half the movie was me leaning over to chris and being like why did we come to this like <laughs> yeah i could see that <laughs> like from the, like right from like okay i'm gonna shit in this movie a lot but i will give it props for that donald pleasance uh fucking face makeup that one was pretty good i will say but like everything once they get to the bar the only part of the bar scene that i like was i was like oh my god fucking kyle richards is back and i watch a lot of real housewives of beverly hills so kyle richards is my queen and seeing her come back on the show i'm like fuck yes let's fucking do it but like anthony and michael hall gets on stage to start doing bird calls which i'm like cool we're gonna see him do some bird calls. Like, <laughs> Does he just bums out the whole audience at oh, all? Oh lord! Are dead. 
stage stuff. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And it just goes on for way too long. And then that couple who are the nurse and the doctor, like, after everyone knows there's a serial killer on the loose, are like, you know what? You go to the car alone. I forgot my stethoscope. <laughs> it was such a... <laughs> Call back to 2018. They're going to get more screen time than Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> yeah. And just... So for half this movie, like, I'm going to spoil some shit. I'm already sorry. If anyone oh, does... yeah. Yeah, spoilers, guys. It's coming. Spoilers. I'm going to spoil a ton of shit. Don't but, worry. Like, <laughs> Jimmy Lee Curtis gets to the hospital. It's very clear that she's had surgery. Yet for, like, most of the movie, she's, like, walking around fine. Like, she didn't just have abdominal surgery. Like, she should not be able Seriously. to. Seriously. And then are her and the cop secretly in love all of a sudden because they're next to each other in bed? And he's like, oh. It was always you, Lori. I've loved you forever. I don't fucking know what happened there. And just, everyone just felt so insufferable. And even though, like, there was so much movie I didn't like, it does suck. But, like, when people start chanting stuff, I'm going to start chanting along with them, which is why I shouldn't go to most rallies. But, like, I'm in the theater just being like, yeah, evil dies tonight. Evil dies tonight. I'm like, I don't even like this. What am I doing? I fucking hated that so much. Were people in the theater chanting it? I was. Okay, I thought you meant like the whole theater like broke yeah. out and evil dies tonight chanting, and I was like, "What?" I really, really I just although <laughs> although I might have done so ironically, like, like I could I could see myself being in theater being like, "Yeah, let's fucking chant this because it's so dumb." But it but. just it felt like there was I don't even know how to describe it. It felt like this movie had no love for the franchise. It was just like, hey, we already made the one uh, Halloween film. We're signed on to do two more. So, like, how do we push this? And, like, oh, the whole ending angers me. And it kind of angers me so much that I might not even go see uh, Halloween Dies. Yeah, yeah the ending. Uh. Because, I'm sorry, we're can we, can we spoil the ending? Are we mm-hmm. allowed? Okay. Spoilers if you don't, I'm, for if you don't, I'm going to. Okay, so yeah. Go, the whole go thing right with, ahead. Like, Anyone listening to this, just uh, if you haven't seen Halloween Kills yet and we haven't effectively warned you away from it, just skip ahead about, Paul, what, seven minutes, eight minutes? Mm, yeah, I'll try to keep my rant to eight skips, minutes. Keeps, okay. <laughs> like, skip ahead, folks. The, the mob does what every mob does in movies where instead of everyone gang piling on him and murdering him and like decapitating him, they all just go one at a time to beat him up. And it's like, this is stupid. Never do that. That's not how you win against a demon. Like, you all have to go at once. And then somehow, magically, he escapes that, kills a bunch of people there, gets through all the cops at the house, manages to get upstairs where Judy Greer happens to be, and then kills her? And that's how we're ending the movie? No. You don't know. No. It's not an ending, first it's off. Not an it's ending. just not an ending. And then my brother thinks it's a dream because he just doesn't think it could have possibly happened. That's what I he's, like the only, he's like, the only explanation is this isn't real. And I was like, if it's a dream, then I hate everything. But he's like, but it's the only thing that makes sense, Paul. It's going to be a dream. And I was like, God fucking damn it, if it's a dream. Uh, anyway. If, if it's a dream, again, cop-out ending. Right, right. Ali, it's curious that you said like how how it feels about the franchise because weirdly enough, even though I think that Halloween 2018 kind of had the occasional misstep, it felt like it was kind of a celebration of the franchise. And Halloween Kills, to me, feels oddly apologetic. Like it feels like it should be more than a slasher film. It's not comfortable being a slasher film anymore. 
anymore. You know, it, it wants to be so much better. Trauma. Like, it just feels like it doesn't know what it wants to tell you. Like, are we psyched about mobs? Are we against mobs? Because it kind of feels like we should all be in a mob at some point. Like, but it's not We're all just one not, big mob. Yeah, we're all just one big mob. But it doesn't tell me if we should be overcoming our trauma because the first one was all about like overcoming trauma and intergenerational shit and just this one had none of that i kind of hate all the kids in this movie just for no reason i'm just like oh you all annoy me oh there's reasons (laughs) terrible (laughs) characters do you find like (laughs) the whole idea of overcoming trauma and i'm curious what both of you think about this okay i'll ask both of you what you think like when when you watch halloween 2018 it, it this never really occurred to me before but I, it, does this new franchise, the David Gordon Green trilogy, do you think it actively hates Laurie Strode? Because it's telling us that this poor woman spent 40 years in pretty much abject misery, like just waiting for this one day that may never come, and it eventually does. And like you said, Allie, like it was all about overcoming trauma, but now we've thrown her headlong into a follow-up installment. Uh, that has nothing to re- do where she has nothing to do, she's robbed of all of her agency, and then on top of all of that, her daughter is murdered at the end of it. It feels just needlessly cruel. You know, I thought, I hated Halloween Resurrection because, you know, it offed Laurie Strode unceremoniously in the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie. Uh, and I, I was kind of happy that this new trilogy was resurrecting her, right? But now I'm like, my God, you know, I, I, what it's done to that poor character. It's just awful. I know she's not a real person, but still follow well, her. Still, she is an amalgamation of emotions. Like she went through a lot of trauma and like the first film, I feel like they just maybe don't know how to process trauma as filmmakers. Not saying they don't, I'm just saying that this was a big task to take on and they maybe didn't do as good a job as they could, which meant that in this film, any trauma that like they still wanted to touch upon, they really couldn't touch upon it because they didn't give Laurie a chance to do anything. Then it becomes without Anthony Michael Hall's trauma. And like, <laughs> it, it does. I'm sorry. I'm laughing. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at how ridiculous. Yeah. I don't think so. So no, I don't think they hate Larry Strode. I think that's just bad writing. I just think they're bad. I think this is, it's bad. It is bad writing. Like I, I mean, at the end of the day, like ultimately, all these fucking movies are punishing Laurie Strode constantly. Like I mean, that's what these movies are when Laurie Strode's in them. But but like if you if you watch, okay. Well, I I I don't want to just jump in. Jump in. <laughs> just, don't take it over. Okay. All right. I'll all right. So first off, the biggest crime this movie commits is being a sequel to Halloween 2018. Because it that that is where it fails the most, like its biggest fail. Like, okay, when you watch Halloween one and two, you can fucking cut those movies together because some guy did it. It's called the Sandman cut. I have it. You can cut those movies together and they just work as one long movie, right? Yeah. Halloween one and two. That's how this should have felt. It you should have been able to cut. Halloween 2018 together with Halloween kills and have it play as one long movie. He had every tool in the tool belt to make that happen. He had money. He had fucking John Carpenter scoring his movie. He had everything at his disposal and they gave us Halloween kills, which could not be a more different thing. Forget about what it's trying to do and how it fails. 
tonally, these movies are just not in the same genre. They're like two complete. This is a bombastic, brutal, frenzied, goofy fucking thing that feels more like the Friday the 13th remake than a sequel to a movie about a woman who's dealing with her trauma for 40 years. They're just so disparate in every possible conceivable way. And, and to me, that's its biggest crime. Um, and, and that's where a lot of the pain begins because if this was just a random, like you mentioned uh, Halloween resurrection earlier, if you took Halloween resurrection and just bear with me and you took out the beginning, you literally just chopped off the scene with Laurie Strode dying in the insane asylum. You cut that out and you started right after that and you reworked the ending. You minimized Busta Rhymes's role. You didn't let him fucking kick Michael Myers ass like four times. That movie would actually be pretty fun. It would be a pretty fun movie. Um, I would actually say it'd be one of the better sequels. Because it, it, it works as a it works as a Jason Six. It works as a Jason Lives. It's a funny, silly movie that ultimately fails because it tries to ground itself in the serious past that is the Halloween franchise with that opening. The opening sets you up for a serious movie, and then you get a goofy fucking comedy, and mm-hmm. that just doesn't feel right. Um, and I think Halloween Kills falls into the same trap. I think Halloween Kills and Halloween Resurrection have a lot of similar DNA in that way. Um, it's it's dumb. It's stupid. I, I don't agree with Jinx in that I don't think I don't think it thinks it's smart. I think it doesn't. I don't think it has a lot of respect for Halloween. I think it, I think there's a lack of. I think this is Gordon Green going. Well, I can do whatever I want now, so I'm just going to be funny. I'm just going to do fun things, and, I love and I'm going to have fun I- with these characters. <laughs> And you you don't think that it's not no, like I don't you I don't, don't think, it think that it feels no. that it's lofty no in I don't way. I literally legitimately don't uh, like when I and part of it is so you all watched it when it came out I waited a week <laughs> so I actually saw all of the discourse I went into this movie knowing what people thought about it I went into the movie knowing the reputation it already had and my expectations for it were low but I wanted to love it. I was like, I know people hate it, but I want to like this movie. So I'm going to really try to like it. And what I see when I watch that film, and I'll admit this, fully admit this. I was not mad while I was watching it. I had a lot of fun. I thought it was really fun. It's horrible. It's bad. But it's a fun slash. Again, if this was a Friday the 13th movie, you took out all the Halloween iconography, it would be fine. No one would be mad at it. But oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's I kept just right. It's bad time. because it's a sequel to Halloween 2018. It doesn't work. Like, what are we even doing? Like, all of the decisions are so mindlessly strange. Like, we go into a, a random old couple's house where they're trying to learn how to fly a drone for 10 minutes. What the fuck? What does that have anything yeah, to do? But it's <laughs> it's it's funny. I was entertained by and that's that's where it's confusing because I was never not entertained by what was happening because it was so weird. But it wasn't good. You know, probably the biggest crime the movie commits from a franchise standpoint outside of just being a shitty ass sequel 
is I don't like going back to the first Halloween and saying like, oh, Lonnie encountered Michael Myers. Like, you can't do that. You can't say Lonnie encountered and Michael didn't kill him. Like, what the fuck? That's that's messing with like actual first movie canon. And I don't think that's a good idea. I thought they did all that stuff really well for the most part. But like, yeah, that that stuff didn't sit. But then you go to like and 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 frankly, these movies are trying so hard to distance themselves from the franchise by saying, oh, no other sequels existed. We're only sequelizing the first. We're keeping this pure. And then this movie was a greatest hits of the Halloween sequels. Everything that happens in it is pulled from a different Halloween fucking sequel. They even bring back Marion Chambers and do less with her than the opening sequence of H2O. <laughs> like, there, there's no point in her being there other than her face is recognizable. Like, what are we doing, guys? This is fucking insane. Tommy Doyle going up on stage and being like, yeah, 40 years ago, I encountered... Like, dude, nothing happened to you. You have nothing to be whining about. Like, you're you're a loser at a bar like that, that hangs out with these guys on Halloween night pretending to be cool because you fought off Michael Myers. You did nothing. You were a child. You probably barely remember it. You know, like it, it, none of it, none of it calcifies into anything meaningful. And then what little they do do with it, with the mob mentality and cornering Michael and, and the evil dies tonight chanting, which come on, what are, what are we doing? And then when they finally have him after all these speeches about how he's evil incarnate, he's unstoppable, he's unkillable. They beat him up one at a time. They stab him and they walk away. They don't decapitate him. They don't burn him. They don't, I'm just like this. It was a nonsensical scene. Like it, it, the movie itself established that they knew better than to just like stab him once and leave him. And then they do that. And he gets up and kills all of the characters. The movie just spent an hour and a half trying to make us care about. So now we go into Halloween ends with none of the people that that movie concerns. So what was this movie about? Why did it matter? And then it ends by killing Lori's daughter who had no arc. What was her arc? <laughs> like, why does she exist she, to be killed? <laughs> After To me, it just feels like, they, I feel, this is my thought. Halloween 2018 was a standalone movie. That's what I think. I think they intended... I think David Gordon Green wrote that as like, okay, here's my sequel to Halloween has a slightly open end. We defeat him, but he, but we don't have to show him dying. And the, the strode women emerge triumphant. So it puts them on a high note. That's the end. I walk away. And then they paid him a bunch of money to make sequels. And we got this. So that's why I don't really think it's like their idea of what to do with Lori was bad. I just don't think they had one. And then I think when they got money to make a sequel, they just did something and didn't think it through. Um, and it's garbage. It's entertaining garbage. Like I, I have fun watching it. I will definitely watch it again um, because I'm a Halloween junkie and I can't quit this stuff. I don't hate it. I think as much as much as most people, but it is very low on my list. I'm debating whether or not Resurrections above it. That that's where it ranks for me. It's like I, I do think it's worse than every like one through seven are better than this movie for sure. Resurrection is questionable. I just really hate the Busta Rhymes stuff. That's the stuff I can't forgive. 
but it's it's low on my list. All right, I that felt cathartic. Yeah, I feel like everybody yeah. got it out of their system. Yeah. I apologize. Yeah, I feel like I went a little hard, so I'm I'm sorry. It's no, okay. no, well, no. It's I I think the movie had it coming. Um, no, yeah. So, um, but you know, who are we fooling? We're all going to buy it on 4K when it fucking comes. Oh, out. I already pre-ordered uh, the Steelbook. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not even kidding. Got my money. <laughs> well, I told Neil, I was like, this is the movie that I most want to see a commentary from. I'm I'm praying there's a because I want to understand. Yeah. I want to understand the decisions. There's so many weird ass decisions. If I Big John and Little John. Oh, Come on, God. I need to hear more about that thought process, which they were so entertaining. That's the thing. There's a ton of stuff in the movie that I really enjoyed, but not as a sequel to Halloween 2018. Yeah, if I were the filmmakers who made Halloween Kills, I would not be doing a commentary. I'm just throwing that out there. I would be surprised if they do one. In any case, at long last, folks, we're finally going to pass you along to this uh, year year and a half old episode uh, that we have somehow managed to resurrect. I'm very curious to see what new listeners will make of this old episode. Um, Paul, you got anything to say to people before we, uh, we, we send them headlong into this thing? Um, we get really drunk. Forgive us. I believe this is the fabled episode where you yell at me in German. Is that <laughs> I was, I was yelling out reviews in German. Oh yeah. Oh. Yeah, I'm excited to listen to that. Of my, of my, the film I wrote. Uh, okay, well, <laughs> be prepared for that. Uh, and, uh, you know, cut us some slack. <laughs> we get really, really drunk in this one. <laughs> All right. Allie, anything to say before we, uh, before we head out here? Uh, no, like, Halloween Kills is fun, so I guess, like, watch it. But also, like, go and watch Antlers, too. Antlers was fucking great. If you don't watch Succession, start watching Succession. Like, Watch, uh, um, watch Halloween 1 through 5 4K instead. The, the Scream Factory restorations are ludicrously gorgeous. I can't wait. I need to pick this up. As oh, man. The, uh... I, I have to say, I was mad about it. And then I put in Halloween 4. I, I mean, worth every penny. I mean, the 4 restoration is a must own for Halloween fans. All right. I'll check it out. All right, folks with no further ado, we are going to go ahead and pass you along to what should have been episode five or six of getting hammered with hammer. This is brides of Dracula. All right, Paul, I think it's about that time. You're ready to dive in. Yeah. Uh, I got to pour myself another drink here. Okay. Everyone out there. So, uh, Paul and I, I believe Paul, I don't think we've talked about this. I am watching The Brides of Dracula on that uh, Hammer Blu-ray set that includes eight other films, including The Curse of the Werewolf and uh, Evil of Frankenstein and so on and so forth. Uh, I forget what I, – was it Warner Brothers that put it out maybe? Uh, but which uh, – Yeah, I think so. How are you watching it? Same way? Same way. <laughs> Good deal. Okay, so folks, what we want to do, we want to get our red comments ready. Hopefully you already have that. Now, we are going to select the movie. If you're watching a streaming or on the Blu-ray, let's go ahead and get to the very first frame of the movie. Okay, right now I'm being told that piracy is not a victimless crime. I'm feeling kind of judged here. I wouldn't have watched One Cut of the Dead either. I'm just throwing that out there. That's what you say. No, I really wouldn't have. Okay, the difference being, 
is that that was a movie that was still on the festival circuit, that was still seeking distribution, that undoubtedly was going to have a streaming option or a Blu-ray in its future. That's quite different from a 35-year-old movie that was never released on DVD or Blu-ray because of rights issues and looked like it had no future on home video whatsoever. Come on! It's a little different, I guess. A little. I, I, <laughs> we only made it six episodes in before this podcast ended. All right. So, everybody, let's it's go to... for sure. <clears throat> Frame one. We can just barely see Universal International peeking through. Are we ready? Uh, yeah, what are the uh, what are the rules? Oh shit, the rules! You see, this is this is what part of the problem is with drinking first, Paul. All right, so the drinking game rules for this: take a swig of your red comet every time the following happens. Any time you see a carriage on screen, now mm. this doesn't mean from cut to cut. Like if it's one scene and the carriage is moving along, that's one drink. Any time okay. you see a balcony. Whether somebody is standing on it, whether somebody walks out onto it, whether somebody, uh, you know, considers possibly throwing themselves from a balcony, you got a drink. And Paul, you ready? It's our favorite standby. I never realized this would be the one constant trope in every friggin' Hammer movie. You ready? You know what I'm going to say, Paul? It's our go-to. You know it. Go ahead I guess and say it. I think of two. <laughs> There's two go-tos now. All right. Uh, stairs or Stairs, room? Paul. Stairs. Yeah, stairs. All right, so everybody out there, just remember, carriage, balcony, stairs. And let me tell you, good luck. Okay, let's begin our movie in five, four, three, two, and one. And here we go. Paul, I'm excited because uh, I don't know if I've ever told you this before or if I've told you any less than 50 or 60 times, but yeah. as look at this opening title card. The font is my favorite font. Like if every movie, every horror film should be presented in this font. Okay. Look and this good. is the Brides of Dracula. The... Not Brides of Dracula, as I had always assumed. I'm feeling oh. kind of like a dumbass right now. Okay. So uh but yeah, no, just just I mean the movie starts out on a perfect note already. Paul, this is along with Frankenstein and Created Woman, they're both tied for being my single favorite. Hammer horror film. You number one. That's a good. It's a good pick. Numero uno, it's, sir. It's it's definitely up there for me. I, I don't know that I've like come to a consensus in my brain on what my favorite is, but this is this is up there. Um, it it definitely combines all of the elements that I love about Hammer horror into one movie. It is. To me, it's, you know, by this point, Hammer was really cooking. Obviously, their movies have been successful up until this point. We were so many films in, you know, what, like a half a dozen? Uh, that's not even including, like, the in-between, like, not-quite-horror movies. I'm sure the Quatermass films were falling in-between here as well. But, like, this yeah. this is Terrence Fisher. This is Jimmy Sangster, who only co-wrote. Um, this is Peter Cushing. Sadly, no Christopher Lee, and we'll talk about that here in a bit. But, you know, all of these guys working together with what's obviously a bit of a healthier budget – giving us what I think is easily the most beautifully made film in the entire Hammer canon. Every frame of this film is a painting. Uh, it's yeah. just yeah, everything sure. that I think about Hammer is embodied in this film. Um, 
But the the costumes, the production design, the photography, just the atmosphere overall. I mean, look at what we're seeing right here. These opening shots, the sequence is just gorgeous. Look at the carriage that we have to drink to now coming through the fall. I wasn't going to interrupt. I'm trying to listen to to your suggestion last week to interrupt. But, um, Hmm. and, you know, the performances, uh, the story, like, I just... Everything that I love about Hammer, like I said, is embodied in this single film. And maybe that has something to do with the fact that this was the first Hammer film that I remember ever seeing. Um, I was aware of Hammer by this point, and I was aware of the Dracula films with Christopher Lee. So when this one first aired on the Sci-Fi Channel, that's the Sci-Fi Channel, not Siffy or whatever the hell it's called now. <laughs> Uh, but sci-fi channel, when I was a kid, you know, I caught this, uh, I think on a sick day from school. So I tuned into dark shadows, you know, when they reran uh, one or two episodes back in the day. And then this came on and I remember watching it and completely falling in love with it. Uh, in the back of my mind, I always expected Christopher Lee to pop up at some point and then it just never happened. But by that point I didn't care because my God, what a film. Yeah. No, and I'm, you know, as I've said many times before, I, I'm relatively new to Hammer. Uh, this was one of the first ones I watched because it was in that set that you talked about, um, the Warner Brothers set that has like eight movies in it. And I just kind of went through those movies. And this was the second movie, I think, on the set. I think it opens with Curse of the Werewolf and then goes into this. Um and so it was an early film. I saw this was the first Dracula Hammer film I saw. So I saw this before I ever saw one with Christopher Lee in it. Interestingly, um, and yeah, it's it it really won me over. Um, and I, I I really like just the atmosphere right from the beginning. Um, it's eerie. It's creepy. It's off putting. Um, you know, and I even think that even though it doesn't have um, Christopher Lee, I think it still really works in the world that that first movie created. You know, oh, it still absolutely. feels like a direct continuation. And it's impressive they managed to do that without Lee. And obviously, I would have loved to have Lee in it. And I know the original script had Lee in it or had Dracula in it. Yeah, um, back when it was uh, Disciple of Dracula. Disciple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, and, that's two drinks for the stairs. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. I'm in three because of those bastards. Okay. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. It's too early in the episode to be taking this many drinks. Oh, um, You have no idea what we're in oh for. Oh, God. Uh, but, yeah, he was... Because he turned it down flat, right? Like, he was really worried about typecasting, and he just wasn't interested in doing Dracula again. Right, which is crazy to think that, I mean... You know, part of me is bummed out that he didn't return, but then again, you see what happened to his career later on for a few years where, you know, I mean, that guy is always going to be Dracula. Would that be the case if he had only done horror of Dracula? I don't know. Um, But he wound up doing that big run, and it's kind of a damn shame because, you know what? There is no sequel that comes even close to scratching this one or horror to me. Uh, Even the ones that I like. Um... I think those are the top two, and I kind of wish he'd been a part of this one. Apparently, like, even the screenplay for the initial version that Sangster wrote, uh, Disciple, he was only intended to make a cameo in it. So it was never going to be a Christopher Lee-led film, but... Right, yeah. Because Sangster knew that Lee wouldn't want to do it, so he just wrote a real (laughs) small part. And even then, Lee was like, absolutely not. And they talked about recasting him. 
they were going to recast him and then and then uh i think fisher kind of put the kibosh on that and was like no we're we're just gonna we're gonna go with cushing and if you really think about it cushing was much more of the main character of horror of dracula you know because because cushing's on screen you know dracula's on screen for like seven minutes cushing is is most of the runtime and even in this one cushing doesn't show up for 30 minutes Stairs and carriage there, Paul. That's two drinks. Damn it. Okay. Drinking. Oh, but it's a wonder this movie is, uh, and I don't know if we pointed out, we're in a, I love that we're in a hammer pub already. There is always a hammer pub. We, we, well, not every movie has a hammer pub. We found out, uh, and, uh, which one was it? Was it mummy or was it? It was, uh, I think the, well, did the mummy have one? Um, Oh I want no! To say it was, it was two faces uh, of Doctor Jekyll. It was two faces, yeah. But but, but, this... but there wasn't a hammer pub, but there was a hammer club, and that's close enough. Yeah, I guess. But this is like a true full full tilt classic hammer pub, and it's it's very well used uh, in this film. I, I very much love that it's it's a big part of the movie. A lot happens inside of the hammer pub and Brides of Dracula. Look at this lighting. Look at this oh, like. Yeah. Creep show again before creep show lighting in the background. It's just, yeah. I mean, it, if we've talked about this before, carriage, but, carriage, but this movie again feels like really heavily influenced what would go on to be like later 60s Italian horror. Oh my god, yeah. Could you imagine like Argento as a younger man seeing these movies and being like, yes, yeah, definitely well, this. And they could have been responding to some of what Bava was doing because Bava was operating in the late fifties, early sixties. Bava you know, wouldn't have he was... done any color work by this point, would he? I guess. Or would he? Uh, maybe not, because I, I guess you're right. Because what most of his like, you know, Technicolor poppy stuff was mid to late sixties. But I know Argento always kind of points to him as being like. You know, the big influence. Now we have the entrance of this character who is really sinister right off the bat. And really, that doesn't really change until her final couple of scenes, which I thought was really interesting. In a way, she's kind of the main antagonist in the first half of the film. Well, and I think that's one of the really smart things the screenplay does is it kind of it's it's very forward thinking and it kind of tricks you. Right. Because the Baroness is presented as the film's antagonist for sure. Um, And it's great that halfway through the film, she really is second fiddle. You know, she's she's really kind of a non-issue because she's so submissive to the to the actual, you know, to her son, to the Baron, to to David Peel's character. But um, I love her costume. Her costume here is just great. (laughs) She looks, she looks like she's like is a statue in a spirit Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about how drop dead gorgeous Yvonne Montar is as Marianne here? Oh yeah, like, I she is stunningly gorgeous, and as I, I, she's so perfectly suited to this movie because she almost looks like a porcelain doll at points. And that's so in keeping, I think, with the character and also just the aesthetic of the movie in a weird way. You know, you always hear that phrase, hammer glamour. And I think it's always kind of applied to the latter 
hammer leading ladies where sex appeal was obviously a bit more of a concern. You know, I'm thinking of like Carolyn Monroe or Veronica Carlson or yeah, the twins from Twins of Evil, you know. Um, right. But I don't know. I don't know that any hammer leading lady was ever more gla- glamorous than Marianne here. I love the uh, how the innkeepers are afraid to let her go. Um, I, I just love that whole exchange and how she's like, oh, someone with a little breeding. How refreshing. You know, just the way it's all played, the class, like that scene is a metaphor for the class struggle as a whole, right? Because you have the two people who run the inn who are sort of more blue collar and they're actually trying to offer aid to this girl who's opting to trust the wealthy upper class person over them because of the comfort that she's offering. Right. Really Which is continues to do so for the bulk of the film. Yeah. And like, thematically th- this movie was, had a lot to say about the UK, the time that it was made, you know, cause it was, I, I think that people didn't give enough credit to Fisher and Sangster and, and hammer as a whole for the social commentary that they're putting forth with these movies. By the way, Paul, we had stairs and a carriage in that last scene. Yeah, we so sure did. I was let's do drinks, pass. <laughs> All right. I got it. I mean, look, and plus, I mean, just Fisher's camera work in this movie, the oh, way yeah. frames, I mean, I could just, I, I'm sure it's probably boring as hell to listen to this commentary and listen to me fawn over every single choice, but just, just look at it. I mean, this is a great fucking movie. Yeah. Well, and even just the set dressing, the attention to detail, the all the stuff that's on the table, the candles everywhere, like there's a depth to the space. There's a life to the space. It feels like a real place because of all the specific items that might as well be cursed objects. You know, like every every item hanging on a wall, everything sitting on a shelf feels like it has a history, feels like it means something. And kind of lends to the dread because the whole place feels dangerous. And that's just a quality that Bray Studios had because most of the interiors, once again, are shot at Bray. Um, And and again, as you're going to hear a common thread on these commentaries or these conversations is that it amazes me that these films all feel so distinctive in personality um, and yet share the same space. And yeah, there's like a splash of purple light when you first walk into that room on the wall and yet there's no purple light anywhere else in the room and there's no logical source for that purple light, (laughs) but it, but it adds this weird kind of ominous color. She's on a balcony. So I guess we got a drink. Uh, She is. And then we see the Baron Meinster step out onto a balcony too. So that is two drinks, two balconies. Okay. fine. So ball. Yes. They never come out and outline exactly what the intentions are. Why do you feel Baroness Meinster takes um, Marianne here under her wing and invites her back to the castle? I think her plan was to feed her to to her son. I yeah, but they never actually come. Like I love that idea that she knows her son is a monster, but you know he boy needs to eat. So, uh, you know, there's something like so incredibly perverse about that, but it feels like they never play that note very hard in the film. Well, I, I think it's because her plans were thrown off because the, the Baron used his, the servant woman 
and they sort of collaborated to allow her to go help the Baron escape. That's kind of what I think happened, was that they usurped the Baroness and kind of plotted to have Marianne, you know, do what she does. And I think some of that is that it was maybe time for them to do that. Maybe he thought Marianne was just, you know, particularly beautiful and wanted her as one of his vampires. I That part I don't know, but a part of me thinks that, you know, in the in this world, right, it's probably not all too often that a woman like that wanders into their town and would be willing to go to their castle, right? Because most people in the town know better. Um, so it, it's probably not a super common occurrence that they have a visitor like that. So he's probably jumping at this particular chance to find himself an escape. Yeah, and you can't imagine if the Baroness was able to just graze freely on the locals either. Otherwise, they probably would have they would have lynched her at a certain point, one imagines. Uh, but yeah, an outsider? Exactly. Yeah, sure. Which Who was obviously like spotted in advance by uh, you know, the would-be highwayman, I think. But, uh, but yeah, I, I love how it all leads to this moment where it all backfires and it all kind of turns. There's something like karmically appropriate about that in a way, even though it leads to more you know, death once uh, the Baron is released. But, um, yeah, I do love this collection of characters. Yeah, I, I think it's one of the better casts uh, in terms of every character being interesting and worth following and kind of grabbing your eye. And the performances are great. I mean, uh, what, is, what is the Baroness's actress's name? Mar- Mar- Martita? Is it... Uh, that is a great question. I think it's Mar- uh, Martita. Martita. I know her last name's Hunt, but she's fantastic in this movie um, and really lends, you know, I think she kind of carries this first half hour without Cushing. You know, I think she really drives the narrative forward. As you said, uh, Yvonne, was it Manlar? Uh, Montar, I think. Okay. Or is it, As Mary, is it a T or an L? I need to look that up. <laughs> we are the best commentators. No, you're right. Yes, yeah. Uh, uh, Yvonne Manlar. Yvonne Manlar, as Marianne, is, is very good, but she's sort of a unassuming kind of what's going on. She's kind of being being led, right? So you're sort of she dependent is, on these more powerful not, characters. She's not an active protagonist. No, she doesn't have a lot of agency. Right. Like her, she's just kind of, oh, well, this guy abandoned me here. Oh, you'll take me in. Okay. You know, she's just kind of, oh, you need help getting out. Let me get you out. She, she's, she's very kind and, and loving and unassuming, like I said, but she's not enough to drive the plot. Um, And I think the Baroness serves that purpose until uh, Peter Cushing arrives. Yeah, which is, you know what, and that's something I love about these movies, too, is the fact that they kind of give lie to the notion that good stories can only be told by uh, through the template of, like, a three-act structure. Because mm-hmm. you find me a Hammer movie that follows, like, uh, the traditional three acts, and, you know, I, I just, with this one, 
it's like you said, we, we have this protagonist who isn't really that at all, but she occupies the first 30 minutes of the film. We don't meet our hero until 30 minutes in. Now, there are probably, you know, I, I can't imagine there's any chapter in Save the Cat or Sid Field's screenplay that would tell us that that's appropriate, and yet it works like gangbusters for this particular story. And I think for a lot of uh, Hammer films, too. Okay, we have two more balconies, Paul. That's two more drinks. <laughs> Well, and when you're talking about the rules of screenwriting and all that, like, uh, and you know, stairs. Those, those are okay. I'm gonna have to pour another drink. Oh my god. Um, to me, those are, I don't know. I mean, the rules matter insofar as you have to be able to teach something. Um, you know, if you're going to teach someone structure, there has to be rules to be taught, but art dictates that you have to follow the story. And sometimes the story is going to require you not to follow the rules. Right. Do you think Jimmy Sangster for all of the great work that he did had any concept of a three act structure, or do you think he even gave a shit about it? Because I'm I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure like, he knew about Dracula, it. curse of Frankenstein revenge. Like I, I think the man just followed the pen and told the most entertaining stories it could. And by God, I think it works like gangbusters. Can we talk about the lighting here for a second? Look as she moves into the light. And we can just make out the Baron's features, but he is just shrouded in darkness enough. There's that little key light, or not the key light, little edge light hitting him. Yeah. And then... Well, the red light behind him is is so... Um, it's 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 foreshadowing what's to come, right? Like a Like a blood red light in the background. And I will say, as far as introductions go, man, like I look, I love this movie and David Peel, I think, is a fantastic actor. I love him in this role. But like, look, look at this fucking Hitler youth son of a bitch. Like, I, you know, <laughs> he's I, pretty this, clearly not a good guy. <laughs> this, this guy, like everything, you know, he he's evil. Sure. But there's something a bit foppish about him. Like he doesn't have the kind of commanding presence that. Christopher Lee does as Dracula. And I don't think it's appropriate that he would. I think uh, by virtue of the story that's being told, I think every choice made with this character is correct. But, you know, I, this, this is a dude who, you know, Tallahassee in the Zombieland films would call a bit of a bitch. He, <laughs> but that, but that, isn't that the point though? Yes. Is, no, it totally is. To be, he's supposed to be a victim, right? Like his introduction here is like, I'm a victim. I'm a prisoner of my mother. You know, like I'm I'm this poor little rich boy who has been chained up. I need your help. You're it's not a damsel in distress. It's the damsel needs to save the, the boy in distress. Right? So he's emasculating himself purposefully to but, be underestimated. But even once he's free, do you ever find him to be I mean, admittedly, he is the only vampire, I believe. I think I'm getting this right, whoever got the bite on Van Helsing. But by God, he needed a lot of help to be able to do that. To me, he is a vampire who survives simply by virtue of the fact that he can manipulate those around him. And I love that idea. I love what a contrast he is to Dracula, who is much more of a, you know, you get the sense that Dracula is more of a, a self-made man or self-made vampire, yeah. as it were. Well, uh, and stairs, I, read, but... oh, yeah. I read a lot of reviews sort of tearing his performance apart and saying they didn't like him and, and, and oh, saying, that, yeah, he. He didn't, 
he didn't command the same level of respect as as Cushing and or not Cushing is is Lee and I and I don't disagree, but I think it's incredibly fitting for the film and the story, and I also think it's interesting. Because it's different than what we're normally given. He's not a carbon copy, which they no, so comp- easily could have done. Yes. I like the wallpaper in this room a lot. Every, the way look, red, look at the sets. Yeah, the way the red is look. used, like there's there's bits of red all over. And again, every costume the Baroness wears makes her look like a scary Halloween decoration, and I love it. Well, it's um, curious that she is wearing such like a deep look at that woman. Purple. Whereas, I love it. You know, I feel like once Baron she looks Weinstein like a already... freaking Dis- she looks like a Disney villain, like a Disney sure. cartoon villain brought <laughs> to life. Like I, I could totally see her terrorizing Snow White or something. Like she is great, uh, and I lo- and I love it. But um, no, I, I I feel like I would mount a defense of David Peel <laughs> because. And I'm not saying you're attacking him, but it, no. I here's the thing, Baron Meinster. Baron Meinster would be happy well. to let you mount a defense of him because that is who that character is. Yes, yes. But I actually think that when he does bare his fangs later, and he kind of hisses, and he has that Christopher Lee moment, you know, like the very famous, like scary Dracula face moment. Um, it is scary. I do think it's scary. It's scary in a different way. You know, he it does. doesn't it doesn't chill you to the bone like Lee does, but it's scary in it's how how difficult it was to imagine him being that way. It's well, they both so out have of those wonderful. And it's not until he's actually thrown into action that we realize that he's not scary at all, because, I mean, even though he knocks Cushing down once or twice, Cushing quite literally chases him out of his own house. It's brilliant. But. I agree. When we first see him, yeah, I mean, they both have those amazing, like, Basil Gogos, famous monsters of Filmland cover, you know, close-ups, which I just yeah. love. By the way, they're both on a balcony again, so there's two drinks. They ball. sure are. You were not kidding about these balconies. And she's wearing purple, too, but it's more of a light pastel. That's the thing. It's so like a cool juxtaposition against the Baroness. Yeah, the Baroness is, like, deep purple, but, you know, now that... uh now that Marianne has met, you know, the Baron, yeah, she's wearing like a lighter purple. Like she's, that's she's she's becoming his new caretaker in a way. Like that's that's the trajectory that he's hoping for. Do you think um, he is a like to me? And again, we can only see him through the confines of this story. But the feeling that I get from this guy is it doesn't matter if he's chained up or not. He's a dude who needs to be kept. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, there's some debate about the chain because <laughs> some people because this movie also breaks the rule. The first movie established because Cushing pretty clearly in the first film establishes that he says that vampires cannot change their forms. He says that that's not true, you know, but in this movie, it sort of breaks that mold and says, oh, no, vampires can become bats. Stairs ball. And OK, um, he could just become a bat and get out of the chain. Some people think that because the chain might be made of silver, that's binding him or something along those lines. Because I think it's established in this movie that silver does hurt them. I will say, you know, and it's so damn smart. Not only did they give us a character who is quite the opposite of Christopher Lee's Dracula, but look how they dress him. He's not in a black cloak. He's in, you know, he's in gray. He's in, you know, he, you know, his hair isn't jet black. You know, he has kind of like that. 
darker blonde kind of he's i i just love that they went out of their way again to not simply copy what had come before and i think it's a damn smart choice yeah well you know the the blonde is like a hair piece <laughs> really hair... no i yeah. did not it's a it's a it's an elaborate hair piece and they did it to make him look more distinguished Holy they shit. thought his regular hair so. wasn't striking enough, so they they made up like a really high end blonde hair piece for him. That was something I read um, when I was reading about the movie. But um, yeah, I don't know. I I think that I I personally walked away from this movie, especially the second watch, feeling really good about David Peel and his performance. Oh, he's fantastic. I opened Oak Balcony. You know what? There's nobody on All the right. opposing I'm gonna, balcony. I'm gonna, Let's just I'm take do a drink. drink. Okay. Just one. Hold on. And stairs. Nope. All right. Here we go. That's two drinks, Paul. Balcony and stairs. Two, two drinks. Okay. There were stairs. You missed the stairs. There's so many stairs in these movies. Bray must have just been all stairs. I imagine Bray was a lot like Hogwarts with just staircases moving <laughs> around. You know what? And what what is the Harry Potter franchise but hamburger kids? <laughs> My God. Uh, you know what? <laughs> Some of them, yes. I agree. Chamber no, of I... Secrets for sure is a hammer movie. God, what a gorgeous movie. Yeah, I, here's the thing. is like... Marianne is not an active protagonist, but nevertheless, by virtue of her performance, like you still feel for her. Like she's still, you know, you, you care about this character and she is under constant threat. Like, you know, that, you know, the characters are up to no good around her and that she, you know, I, to me, even though she isn't an active protagonist, she's not simply a a cardboard cutout of character either. There's a bit of dimension to her, I think. No, and I think the script was really smart. And and again, this this movie, I mean, a lot of Hammer's best films felt incredibly modern. And what I mean by that is the narrative trajectory was one that was willing to alter from like the normal scope of a regular story. So that's where you get things like, oh, your main character changes multiple times throughout the film. Oh, your protagonist changes multiple times throughout the film. Your first act is almost its own short film. And then the the beginning of the second act is more of a sequel to the story you just saw, right? Because the first 30 minutes, which is comprises what I would say is act one. And we talk about the three-act structure and how you mess with it. I think it does embody... A sort of three act structure, but I think it 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 goes beyond that by telling short short stories within thirty minute periods, and that is that elongates the the feel of the film, even though it's only eighty five minutes long. So it's an eighty five minute movie that feels much longer and bigger in a good way because you feel like you got way more than eighty five minutes worth of story in that time, right? Um, so you know when when you watch all this stuff. We haven't even been introduced to the school where she's going, all of the characters in that place. <laughs> you know, there, there's all these things that we're not even introduced to until 30 minutes into an 85 minute movie. And yet all of that stuff also feels fleshed out because when we do get them, there's a lot of time dedicated to it. And that doesn't compromise or take away from that first 30 minutes. 
where we got to meet the Baroness and we got to see her and, and, you know, so that way when, uh, you know, we have Peter Cushing interacting with all of these people, we're way more invested in their stories, even though we haven't seen them in a while. I agree. I just love this scene. I love the, uh, the sort of accusation at a woman who is at death's door. You know, that is the moment where the, uh, the servant can finally cut loose and say, you know what? This is all your fault. Yeah. I couldn't say this to you before, but now. Oh, yes. Okay. And there's the line, you know, bringing the young girls to him and keeping him alive with blood. Yeah. Which is such a throwaway line, but it's also, you know, hugely sort of underlines exactly what that relationship was. I think there's an entire movie there. Where it's oh, just yeah. the two of them in that house, you know, and uh, the mother feeding the son. Like, that's that could make for a hell of a movie on its own. That sounds like a that sounds like a 2020 independent, you know, mumblecore style movie. Like, just like the a- mom alone. Presents. Yeah, that sounds like an A24 film. Like, a woman feeding her vampire son in a house and that's the whole movie <laughs> and you know what i'd watch the hell out of it i would watch the hell out of it too especially if it were shot like a hammer film by the way carriage carriage also what a great okay so the introduction of peter cushing this is something i love about this movie parallels her carriage ride ride into town at the beginning because the guy thinks he sees a body on the road and then she becomes that body and then his carriage has to stop to attend to her, which nice. is what drove her into the whole thing to begin with. So I thought that was a really cool parallel to begin sort of the next piece of this story. Why do you feel that Baron Meinster let her live rather than just draining her dry right at the very beginning? I don't know. I think, I mean, some of that's going to be conjecture. I, I, I think that, she, I think he was sort of taken with her. I, I agree. Wants, I think he wants her to be a vampire along with him. Um, and he needs to woo her before that can happen. He can't. Yeah, just... I think he, yeah, I think he's a man of, of a certain upbringing. And if, if, if it's going to be somebody that he wants as a kind of wife, which again, harkens back to the title, which it's an odd title for this movie because it's, yeah, yeah it's not quite born out. It's a very story we see. Yeah, The Brides of Dracula is probably not the most accurate title for this film. Yeah, it's not, um, it's not the story that we see isn't The Brides of Dracula. It's more like The Bride of Meinster. Um, the Bride of the Baron. The Baron's the way, Bride. Ooh, I like The Baron's Bride. Stairs, by the way. Yeah. Stairs, of course. Well, they. I mean, I know that the, the reason Dracula's in there is they wanted to brand it as part of the, the Lee franchise. Which, you know, um, here's the thing. Anybody who saw Horror of Dracula, like if you were going to play on that crowd, then they knew who the real hero of that movie was, which is Abraham fucking Van Helsing. Yes. Yeah. So why couldn't the sequel? Why has there never been a movie simply called Van? uh, Well, okay, there was a movie called Van Helsing. But what I'm saying is that why wasn't (laughs) there ever a Hammer movie called, you know, The Curse of Van Helsing, Horror of Van Helsing, uh, The Revenge of Van Helsing? Um. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I mean, it's. I think at the end of the show, day, up for. I mean, it's. You telling right. me you wouldn't show up to see a movie called uh, "The Revenge of Sam Loomis"? Like you, you know, oh, hell yeah, 
I mean, holy shit, you know? But I think the argument would be that Loomis is Loomis because of Myers, right? Like, that's why we see Loomis the way we see Loomis. We see Van Helsing as the hero because he battles Dracula. You know, they're, they're, they're two sides of the same coin. Loomis and Myers are forever tied together. Not, you know, they're, I, love, I love that we brought up Harry Potter already, so I'm going to go back to it. Neither can live while the other survives, right? That's, that's, kind, of, <laughs> that's kind of Loomis and, and Myers. That's kind of Van Helsing and Dracula. They're intrinsically but, tied. But you know what? One of the most, if not the most successful movie in, uh, if you want to count it as a single franchise, was Joker. They didn't call Joker like Batman or Batman colon Joker. It was right. just Joker. Right. And the Oscars validated it, so that means it's good. It, okay, <laughs> you know what? There will be no Joker slander on this podcast, sir. I uh wait, okay, we can talk about Joker for a second. Did uh, you not like Joker? Well the Joker. <laughs> I didn't love the Joker. Really? Okay, but okay, but Paul, I trust you enough. I trust. Listen, I I trust your opinion enough. I I I I respect your opinion as well. That you weren't like seventy five percent of Twitter having prejudged the movie before you ever saw it. I I don't care what Twitter thinks. I I mean, I like lots of movies on Twitter. Look, I, I mean, I could I could. Ooh, I don't know. I should say things that I oh, like. Oh, Paul, come on, come on. This is the point where we got to cut loose. Come on, give me. Ooh, give me Dexter. I don't give me think Chris I should. <laughs> give me Dexter and Chris Nolan. Come on. Well, no, this is like the opposite. This is like me sure. saying I like something that everybody hates. Mm, hit me. All right, fine. I I get a kick and. I, I'm, I'm going to go so far as to say it's not ironically. I enjoy... Oh, no. I shouldn't. Do it. Because I just said, I. how can I rip on anything if I like things that are terrible? Lily is gilded already. Come on, Paul. All right. I I like the Twilight movies. <laughs> I enjoy them. I think they're fun. <laughs> there it is. I said it. <laughs> I admitted it. <laughs> I think they're a fucking blast. I think they're super fun. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I get a kick out of them. I can't. I, I'm just saying it. There it is. It's on the... Dude, there's nothing more entertaining. Nothing. Than when the guy imprints on the baby. That is insane. That is insane. That happened in a huge budget young adult young teen movie like and nobody batted an eye at it like what the fuck like that movie has uh, those movies especially as they go on more closely resemble like 70s grindhouse insanity than they do like you know hunger games or whatever the fuck young adult movie was coming out at the time they're crazy they're crazy and bonkers, and they're starring two of the best actors of our generation. There. So I so I let you speak. Um, <laughs> I would just like to point Last out to the audience that we we we, we 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 both we both have had a lot to drink. Uh, <laughs> you know, we said some shit that we probably didn't mean. Hey, look, I'm uh, just saying, Paul I... Farrell. You're telling me you you have issues 
with and let me let me run this I down. In, let me run this down in order, Paul. You, can't you have issues with Dexter. You have issues with Christopher Nolan's Batman yes. movies. Oh, absolutely. You apparently, have issues with Joker. Joker's, yeah, but you're on board. On board with Sparkles the Vampire. Absolutely, because the, the abusive boyfriend. Yes. And his good pal, the pedophile werewolf. You're okay with that franchise? I look. I didn't say I think they're good. I said I really I'm entertained by them. Oh, I'm very entertained by God. them because I I don't think they're trying to be what those other movies are trying to be. By the way, about two and a half minutes ago, in the middle of your diatribe, which grew more and more horrifying with every passing second, we had a couple of people walk down a flight of stairs. Please take a drink. This is your fault, by the way. You goaded me into this. And I, I don't think, you know, look, I, I mean. <laughs> I will, I, you know what? I will agree with you on one thing, and I'm so glad that you said it. You said that it's star. the Joker is? I mean, that, that's the thing. Joker is like the most, it's just four Martin Scorsese movies jammed together. And it's, it's none of the best parts of those movies. It's so derivative. Of but, like, okay, but, 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 are you telling me you have never liked a derivative movie before? No, but I don't like them when they act like they're the smartest goddamn thing in the world. Like when, did, when it, did like, it though? Did it? Yes, or is that just it, what everybody ascribed to it? That movie I, was I, judged I, and found wanting sure, before it sure. ever reached screen. That's I like that movie right. almost in spite it, of everybody. Here's the thing, dude. Is it as bad as everyone said? Absolutely not. It's fine. I don't think it's bad. Is it Oscar worthy? No, like I, I, no, 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 no. It's not, I don't it's think not, it's not. I will I say that's my thing. Is like it's one thing to defend it against like everyone hating it for no reason. I also think that it minimalizes some mental health stuff in a not great way. What like because see, I disagree with that because it says, to me, you you have like an IP that is going to draw in everybody right like that is uh, even though it's an r-rated and violent as hell movie on some level it's catching more quadrants than most films right because it's a by you know by virtue of the fact that it's like the the main you know villain it is essentially a batman movie right because of that do they not talk about mental health in a way that probably wouldn't be considered by most people going to see a fucking batman movie but it, it's it's not it's so nonspecific. He's just suffering from every mental. You know, it's. It, I, I think know. that's why it's important. Well, I think that's it, why it's... there's like two scenes dedicated to that. There's there's not enough exposition about it. It's the whole it's movie. Scene. Is it? I didn't. Feel I think so. It. I Paul. I think the two scenes that you're talking about are actually. I think it would be one, two, three, fucking let me. I think it's more like four or five scenes, but still. I think that just provides context for what is essentially the entire struggle in the movie. You know, this is, oh, fuck, we're not going to get into the Joker here. But I, 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 I appreciate I, I, what you're saying. Like, I, and again, this was just, I've only seen it once. I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about it or, you know, whatever. I, I, it, a lot of people liked it. I'm not here to shit on the Joker. I didn't love it. I don't think that the backlash was warranted. But I also don't think that it it was this great thing. I don't know. That's right. That, that's that's right. And that's, and here's the thing. And I appreciate you're saying that simply because like, I, I know, I know you well enough, I think to where I know that you went in with an open mind and judged it accordingly based on that viewing, as opposed to all of Twitter 
which either judged it to be a masterpiece or this great, like, horribly offensive work before the damn thing ever premiered. Yeah, which, and I'll say that had I had I not seen The King of Comedy, I think I would have liked it more. I think seeing Scorsese's King of Comedy was like, oh, this is the Joker. Like, it's the same movie. It is, no, it is. It is. It, it is, is the same but, movie. But you know but what? Like me, King of Comedy is better. Where, the better where, version of that movie. I don't know. It's hard. It's it like is. one br. It's like I can't watch one br because I saw the invitation. Had <laughs> I not seen the invitation, I'd probably think one br was amazing. Like one, I, literally, it's like you can't. Sometimes you can't see a movie and then see the thing that's like aping it and ever really love. The, that other thing and i appreciate that but i never <laughs> considered it a ripoff either simply because the filmmaker was so quick to simply point out that like yeah taxi driver is a massive inspiration yeah king of comedy is a massive inspiration fuck they cast de niro in the movie they weren't trying <laughs> well, yeah, to keep it a secret I mean, it's like yeah. tarantino everyone calls sure. tarantino like a ripoff artist but it's like okay if this is a guy who's telling you at the very beginning all the movies you should watch that inspired him to make what he did, you know, then he's taking all of his influences and he's synthesizing them into his own personal kind of like work of art. You know, now I wouldn't say that Joker did that, but what I think is so cool about Joker is I look at it like almost like a comic book one shot. Yeah. Somebody loved a movie that they saw once and they had some social concerns they wanted to chat about. Sure. And they knew that the only way they were going to be able to tell that movie was by filtering it through, you know, uh, he never would have made that movie unless it were fucking called Joker. It's yeah. really not. If you look at that movie, it's not a Joker movie. Like, yeah. all. And, the Joker, I, and I agree. Very, so I love the idea that he was able to basically say, like, look, this is a love letter to some movies that I love. And we get to wrestle with some concerns uh, that I'm interested in. And the reason we got to do that is because we called the damn character Joker. And but even in doing that, they also brought in some pieces of the mythology of those comic books and were kind of true to them in a way that made it really interesting for a longtime fan. Um, again, I don't think it's the greatest movie ever made. I think Joaquin Phoenix was fucking incredible in it. But sure. again, I, I, I guess the bee in my bonnet over that entire thing is the fact that it was so quickly prejudged to yeah, where no, I, I get it. It's, By the way, about three minutes ago, Peter Cushing walked up. I feel up so stairs. bad that we are, we've gone way too far into joke. And look, in defense sorry, of myself, do you not I don't remember every other episode of this thinking, podcast? Like, thinking I'm like some huge Twilight fan. I was just saying, like, that's a series that's largely reviled that I can watch and have a lot of fun with. And I would argue that Pattinson and Kristen Stewart are two of the best actors. I was going working to, in Hollywood. So fucking regardless of what anyone thinks, like they are good actors. Yes. The parts are bad. The dialogue is bad. I'm not right. defending those movies. He has, you know, what? don't act like I think they're good movies. But they're <laughs> I would argue out of all of those movies, they're the most fun to watch. And they are admittedly bonkers cinema. Like the last couple movies are insane. They are utterly insane. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care if you like them or not. They're crazy. And if you like Bogner Cinema, they're fun to watch. I will say this. I've seen the first movie. Uh, I've seen the first two, actually. That one's not that bonkers. The, the later ones are way more bonkers. The second one, there is a, uh, the first time, like, I'd already seen Kristen Stewart in uh, Panic Room. And I was like, oh, wow, she's a really great actor, you know. And then she did those movies. And it's like, you know, you just kind of accept it's like, 
okay, she's like 18 or 19. Of course, this is like just a phase in her career. She's going to have to do this. Everyone was bashing the hell out of her. And I remember thinking like, no, she's a very good actor. She's just doing this or whatever, right? The dude, like Sparkles, (laughs) I had no idea like what his talent level was. And I remember seeing the first movie and thinking that, you know, uh, you know, he's not that great. But I had to preview the second movie. And there's a moment in a classroom where he has to recount Shakespeare. Yeah. And the director gives him this one unbroken take and he nails it. And it's like, oh, this guy is actually quite good. Like, I would be interested in seeing him in something else. And then over the course of the last 10 years, that guy's proven himself to being one of the best damned actors. He's a great actor. This is like, yeah. I totally agree with you, but it's what those movies are bad. I, I was just saying I have fun with them because you were goading me and I wanted to pick a really reviled franchise. Uh, we should talk about Brides of Dracula. Well, I, feel I like don't we know if you realize how far into listening. the movie we are. We're halfway through. This is where the conversation usually so goes off the rails. You you should I know, but we're, I know, but the scene is so good. This is the scene that comes off the ground. Oh my Look. God. As a zombie movie fan, this is like, this is nectar for me. I fucking love a hand bursting forth from the ground. That's one of my favorite things. And like, is this the, the first the time goading her? What was that? Sorry. No, I'm just wondering if that's the first time that's ever happened in horror cinema. The hand bursting through the ground because this predates Night of the Living Dead. This predates a lot of zombie cinema. I don't know that we've ever seen anything like that. And look at how Terrific. well a friggin' Terrific. Cushing nails his yeah. closeness. And look at her face is so scary when she first comes out of the coffin. And I love the turn in the, in like the, the maid who was initially like, you know, yelling at the Baroness, like you did this. And now she's like this crazy sort of what she always was. I love his scarf. Peter Cushing's scarf is, it's kind of like Chris Evans sweaters. Okay, can we just talk about one thing? Is this bat the most convincing bat ever? No, but it is a damn... The way it's shot and cut, it is a damn sight better than what we got in the Universal. Do you you know the story of the bat? There's a story. I do not. I read about it um, because, you know, sometimes I I research the movie we're going to watch, even though I talk about Twilight. I feel guilty about that. You should edit that out. Um, May it ever haunt you, sir. God damn it. All right. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to get a lot of hell for that. Um, okay, so Hammer felt, uh, the studio felt like it was really important. Anthony Hines felt like it was really important to have a very realistic bat. So in pre-production, they put a ton of money into developing a very realistic model bat that worked well. And they spent a lot of money and a lot of time on it. Um, and then somehow, like less than a week before shooting... The company that they had hired to do the bat in shipping, it got lost. <laughs> so this really expensive, really nice model bat they built was lost in shipping. And they had like less than a week to come up with a new bat on their like on their own. And that's why you get that that shitty bat. <laughs> But it's still, but it's still the way he shoots it. Like he pulls a very like Spielberg Jaws thing, where he just kind of barely yeah. shows it. He doesn't know the do, well, they do had this whole thing where he just holds on the damn yeah. bat and lets it flap around on its damn string like crazy. By the way, he walked up like a step about two minutes ago, which to me counts. So we probably need to take a drink. 
Did you know that uh, another thing when I was, I, I found uh, this, what was it, like a series of articles on it, and I was just reading like fun little facts about the movie. And they were saying that David Peel, like, was too short um, when he was next to Peter Cushing. So they put lifts in his shoes <laughs> to make him taller. See, so Peter Cushing does not strike me as a super tall man. Uh, he's six feet tall. You're shitting me. No, he's six feet tall. How he's not He's not crazy tall. Well, you know, I'm 6'4". I'm really tall. Are you really? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm 6'4". Hey, let's talk about <laughs> Cushing's bag for a second. What are the initials there on the side? Uh-huh. You tall bastard. What What does it say? <laughs> like how you immediately did this. How tall are you? Me? Are I you? am 5'11". Okay, so you would have had to wear lifts. Which means I am now the shortest person on this podcast. I'm not wearing lifts. Okay, see, that makes up that makes up for the fact that I laugh when I watch Twilight. <laughs> see, if Dexter made me laugh, then maybe I'd like it more in the end. I have I'm more forgiving of things that aren't like, I don't know, that aren't good to begin with. Like Dexter pisses me off because it was so good. It was so good, and then it got bad. You know, Twilight was never good. What what surprises so. me about you and Dexter though is you said you were done after the first season, whereas everybody, including myself, mm-hmm. pretty much says that Didn't the first say I was done. Didn't say I was done after the first season. What I okay, said was that's the some, best season. Okay, the Baroness I, is walking down steps. <laughs> don't don't you dare put words in my mouth because I think season four is fucking brilliant. I love season four. Ah, the season Trinity four. Killer is amazing, and I really like season two. I just don't love that it burns out a really cool storyline so easy early in the franchise. I think the storyline of season two should have been the final season. But anyway, we don't have to get back into that. That's going to be like the running joke of this podcast, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, my God. Love it. Look, See, that's, these, a, this, that's a this creepy. This is like famous monsters of film land level close ups. And look at him brandish the cross like a badass. Look at, oh, a little bit of style. Oh. See, most of our. Most of our. Uh, our commentaries when we actually do talk about the movie is like, oh, how good is that? That's so good. <laughs> well, I would imagine at this point, everybody else drinking along with this, they're pretty much on the same page. I hope so. I really hope so. It'd be funny if people just listen to this in their car and their commute. And, <laughs> movie, and then, like, for 30 minutes, it's just, this is great. No, this is great. I would be that guy. Like, yeah, I, true. I, would... I would totally do that, and I'd probably be entertained by it. And it would still make me want to see the movie. So hopefully, listeners, if there are any of you left, uh, you feel the same way about Brides of, of Dracula. By the way, Van Helsing just bound down a couple of steps again. So, oh, there he goes again. That's two drinks. And a balcony. That's three drinks, Paul. Okay. I drank Ooh. my three drinks. Yep. Gotta tell you, Paul, I didn't use the Captain Morgan's mix this week. They were out, so I had to go with uh, Bacardi. Not that bad. Oh, really? I'm on Captain Morgan's again. Uh, I'm on. I'm on that Captain Morgan train, and I'm liking it. I mean, I add a splash of uh, lime flavored sparkling water to it. L, and it actually gives it a nice little little lime kick. And I quite I like it. it. Yeah, just a just a little uh, FYI, just a little little recommendation. It, not a lot, mind you, but enough to give it a kick, a little sparkly kick. Look at this clothes horse son of a bitch here. Look at how well he wears all of that. Yeah. 
Look at how he can hold a close-up. Was there anybody better in the annals of gothic cinema than Peter Cushing? And I love Christopher Lee. I think Cushing holds... I like that term. Holds a close-up. I think that's a really good term. And uh, I think I think Cushing does it better... Ah, ooh, I don't know. I mean... Okay, are you making me pick between Cushing and Lee? Is that what's happening right now? Yeah, shotguns your uh, heads. Uh, and I love Cushing. them both. Understand that I it's really Cushing. love... I, I have to go Cushing. Yeah. 100%. And I do love Lee, but... I don't know. Maybe it's the Frankenstein stuff. Maybe that's why, but... Also, how great is the... Um, I don't what's her name? The the woman who her, like the woman who sort of like, like takes care of her, the wife of the mean guy at the school. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> who is amazing? Uh, I don't know school. her name. <laughs> is it Lang? Are they the Langs? I no. love how wonderfully bitchy he is later when he storms into the room. Yeah, it's uh her and Frau Lang. Her name is uh, Mona Washburn. Okay. Uh, and I love so her getting this. She's like... so charming. And like, she's the kind of character. And again, this is something Hammer does really well with walk on characters. She's the kind of character who walks onto the frame, says a couple lines, and you just are immediately endeared, endeared to her. And you feel like you know her. She fe- she feels matronly. She feels welcoming. She feels like somebody you care about. Well, she's She is the family member who tries to hook you up with somebody that she knows. You know, like, like I... <laughs> Whereas her husband is, you know, I, I just love this. Oh, this scene is great. And shameless little hussy. We already, unfortunately, we are talking during the scene where Peter Cushing sort of came in and is like, I'm a doctor. I graduated from this school. And he's like, oh, you know, and he completely changes his tune. Like, I, and again, this movie has so much to say about class. Because once he finds out that he's the Baron, it's a totally different, you know, story. And she is so willing to marry him by virtue of the fact that he is obviously wealthy. You know, yep. he is well yeah, Like, she, I don't think it's simply... Comfort, she wants wealth. But, but that is also what that particular society taught their children they should aspire to. Yeah, it doesn't... You don't judge her for that simply because no. that's what you imagine that time would have expected of her. That's all she would have expected for herself. Right, right. Like your your beauty equates to how far it can take you in the world. And that's what he's marrying her on. He doesn't know her. Granted, she helped him free himself of his mother, but at the same time, it's it's boiling her down to her looks. Um, and not necessarily her capabilities. And again, why I say that she's a character that one thing that I wish she had more, I wish she had more agency in the film. You know, I wish that character was given a little bit more. I mean, granted, it makes sense that she didn't have it given the society they're in, but I, I do wish that that character had more agency. Paul, I just want to say that I think that Missy Pyle is wonderful here. She was great in this. She was great in dodgeball. I just big (laughs) fan, big fan of this actress. So, so true. (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I agree. I, I wish, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that Marianne serves kind of, you know, I for everything you've said about what this movie says about class, the script then demands her to not have agency, I think. But it would have been nice had she had some sort of arc 
And had she participated in the downfall of Meinster in the film's final moments? And of course she doesn't. Uh, she yeah. is, she is ultimately the, you know, even though she was the damsel who saved, you know, the Baron in distress by the end, she is ultimately a damsel in distress that Cushing saves. Yeah. And I think, I, I think that's what it's getting at. I, but I agree that her character really doesn't have much of an arc at all. No. Uh, and that disappoints me. Um, I, I, I think it's, it's all in the stead of saying something about, you know, the role of the female in that world, which is incredibly unfortunate. And I think it would have been cool to see someone break the mold, you know, because every woman in this movie is subservient for the most part. Right. I mean, if you think about it, like every, you know, Frau Lang is subservient to her husband. Granted, she tries to sort of manipulate him. Um, Obviously his servant as a woman, his mother, even though she's sort of in charge of him, she has the most agency, sort of, but then it's sort of revealed that she doesn't have any at all because she's ultimately stuck under the David Peel's thumb. Um, and But I, what I like, though, is that Peter Cushing's character, like Van Helsing is pushing for her to take control of her situation. He wants her to have agency you know, even though she doesn't see a path to it. Um, this girl right here, especially is like representative of, of that is that she, she even says like, Oh, I wish it was me. I wish I was the one he proposed to, but she knows nothing about him. You know, he, she just knows he's a bear and he's, he's rich. And ultimately he does choose her, you know, a second later and she kind of pays the price for it. Um, I mm. wonder if <coughs> rather than giving uh, Marianne like an arc, uh, you know, where she sort of removes herself from that expectation of society, I wonder if it wouldn't have been more honest had she actually been bitten by Monster, uh, simply because she can't. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, by the way, he's on a balcony. Oh, God damn it. Well, and I think like. I think part of the message in the movie too is that a man like Baron Meinster would be so shitty that he probably would be sleeping around, right? And he probably would go sleep with that other woman because he could, and it wouldn't affect him at all. And I think like that's what the biting is representative of: is he just proposed to Marianne, but here he is biting her roommate um, or whoever you know, another fellow teacher in the school, um, which in a lot of ways is sort of being unfaithful to the woman that he wants to be by his side, Um, which a man like that probably would do because he could. Um, And I I think that's kind of a running theme in this movie is people doing what they can get away with. By the way, Cushing is toting around a bag that has initials on it that read J V H. Now, if you read Stoker's book, you know that the character is Abraham Van Helsing. If you yeah. watch the Hugh Jackman movie, you know that they changed it to Gabriel Van Helsing and made him like half angel. It was something fucking terrible. What do you make of JVH here? Do we ever learn his first name in any of the Hammer films? It occurs to me that I can't remember. Um, That's a great question. I thought it was 
Abraham, but do they, I don't know that they ever say his name. So yeah, exactly. Like if it's Abraham, then what the hell is the J on his bag stand for? I don't know. That's a good question. I hadn't thought of that. Cause I, I yeah. Cause I know it's like the original story. It's Abraham, but I can't remember them ever saying a different name for him. Maybe in horror of Dracula. Is he, is he something other than Abraham? I don't. I I can't imagine they would have had two Jonathans in one story for the hell of it. So no, it wouldn't yeah. be that. And I'm sorry, James Van Helsing, Jim, Jimmy Van Helsing, maybe Joseph. Joseph. I can see Joseph. Joe? Joseph Van Helsing doesn't sound bad. Joe, Joe sounds bad, but Joseph sounds okay. Yeah, I don't know. You I know, love about Walker. Can we roles? can we talk about the comic relief doctor? Yes, because oh, usually I gotta my say, God. This He's shit so usually does not work for me, even in Hammer films, where it just serves as a distraction. But this one scene is so weirdly charming in its own way that it just works. Well, and what's weird is most Hammer... So most Hammer movies have, like, a walk-on character for maybe, like, two scenes that is acting goofy like this. But it's usually very small, and it's very short. This fucking guy... <laughs> <laughs> sticks around for a while like he's in the movie a good amount like him and van helsing like go to the house and like he he's there he gets a a healthy chunk of screen time for what is essentially a throwaway comic relief character um and and by all accounts his presence should harm the movie should like take away from you know the 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 dread and the seriousness, but I actually find it, I don't know, at this point in the film, really refreshing. Maybe because, and again, I'm going to keep going back to this. I think this film, more than a lot of the other ones, has a lot of social commentary. And I think he's sort of the apex, ridiculous, high-ranking, older, clueless white dude that represents the 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 brokenness of that hierarchy, you know, I, I think more so than almost anyone else. Cause he's a doctor. Everyone just trusts him. He clearly is making shit up half the time and looking for ways to charge people for it. Um, and way <laughs> less interested in actually helping people than he is lining his pocketbooks or making himself feel good. Now, I can't argue with any of that. Even when he leaves with Van Helsing, it's on the, notion that he is you know he's 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 very happy to be a crook of sorts well yeah he, he literally says like will you do this for free and and he's like yeah he's like will you let me charge him for your fee and van helsing's like what the fuck sure i don't give a shit i just want to kill vampires you know it's like <laughs> it, but that guy is literally spelling out his plans to van helsing um, you know, to to be a crook, to be to take advantage of his position. All right, Paul, I have to go make another drink before we start down the road to this uh, finale. I will be back in just a moment. Oh, okay. So I'm alone. So you this have to entertain by yourself. So this is the it part does. of the episode where I'm alone. Always, I always think I make enough, and I never do. Well, see, that's why I keep the the drink stuff like right next to me, so All I right. can kind of. Go on it, but you're good. Well, I also feel like I I just need to turn the mic over to you so you can you can talk about Dexter for a few. 
Okay, you know what? <laughs> That's fine. I got it. I got it. Hi, folks. How you doing? Um, welcome to Paul Chat. This is the part of the podcast where Jake's leaves to make another drink. Um, I'm Paul, uh, so I will be uh, your host this evening. Uh, so let me take a break from our podcast to actually talk about the movie we're supposed to talk about, as opposed to all these offshoot conversations. Um, this was the scene I was referring to earlier. One of my favorite scenes in the movie, actually, because I absolutely adore com- comedy in horror. Um, I think it's really interesting that they point out the bite, the vampire bite. And I like that the doctor goes so far as to say he's seen it before. And he kind of shows how that society writes off those types of afflictions. And the way they write it off speaks to, again, the class differential that's kind of occurring at all times and that those in power view anything that they can't understand or don't understand as sort of the rumblings and musings of a class that's uneducated of a people that, that couldn't possibly see any sort of truth. So instead of listening, they write it off. Um, and Cushing very clearly has no time for that. I like how annoyed and immediate Cushing's actions are in that scene um, because he's recognizing and probably just seeing a commonality that has plagued his work um, throughout all of it. And then the fact that he has to go lie um, drives him crazy, I think, but it's, it's the only way that he can possibly proceed. I also think that his performance here is tinged with emotion in a way that it often isn't earlier in the film. Um, The seriousness with which he's presenting these things to them, like as if it's a disease that can spread. Um, He wants to really land that. And yet he does feel sad for what's happening. And he, he knows that he feels that quickly it's going to get worse. Like I said, I think one thing these movies don't get enough credit for is the emotionality. You know, Hammer films are often looked at as sort of dry, boorish films. And I think there's just so much emotion. I do not these, get yeah. that read on them at all. Yeah, that's amazing to me. Yeah, but no, I know Jinx, what you're talking about. I actually talked about the movie for once. So I think our listeners are, are grateful that they got a little bit of commentary with this commentary. <laughs> Hey, hey, we little, there, little taste there, of, uh, there has been some commentary with this, with this uh, Twilight slash Joker chat that we had. I, I was going to say before we ran off the rails with the Twilight talk, we were doing pretty well talking we about the movie. We hand. I still think uh, I think Jekyll is probably the, the most commentary ish commentary we've done. That's the high water mark so far. That's a fact. Yeah, I don't think we've ever t- talked about a movie <laughs> that we were supposed to be talking about. As yeah, much are, as that. What, Paul, what does that sound? Do you have popcorn on your end? What's going on? Uh, that's my bag of ice. Because oh, I'm pouring enough. myself another drink. I apologize. I should have muted my mic. But, you know, at this point, the the listeners want to hear what's really happening. They want to know the truth. We so don't know what they want to hear. Because as of this recording, we haven't premiered even the first episode. That is so bizarre to me. <laughs> that we, 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 are, 
We are banked for a month and a half, Paul. Yeah, that's good, though. I mean, you know, that's that means we have a little bit of leeway if we need it. But I, I foresee us, I don't know, I foresee us recording Monday nights pretty much indefinitely. Unless you uh, unless you throw a monkey wrench in that plan. I don't know. I don't know what you're the only about. monkey wrench I can imagine is if you talk about fucking Twilight anymore. Beyond that, we should be good. You did that. That was your fault. That wasn't mine. Uh, you you totally teased it. You wanted to say what it was. Uh, you, I you did played, not want to say that. You played coy, Paul. I, I should have went with something else. I should have. There's other things I like that other people hate, and I should have went with those. Okay. All right. We'll save that for a different episode. Come on, throw one out. Just tease us a little. No, I'm not. No, I learned my lesson. (laughs) (laughs) It's not happening again. All right, fine. Okay, so we are getting near the finish of Brides of Dracula. And frankly, Paul, we are nearing one of the greatest sequences any horror movie ever had, ever. Oh, man. At least any. So fucking good. Okay, so Cushing's Van Helsing does not one. He wasn't content to just do one of the coolest things that any vampire movie has ever had in it. No. That son of a bitch had to do two of the coolest things any vampire movie has ever had in it. And he does them back to back. Yeah. It's so true. And it's it's everything that... When you think of Peter Cushing as Van Helsing, you kind of, I feel like you think of this movie. Oh, totally. And and that's what's so interesting about Lee not being in it. Because I feel like this is the definitive Van Helsing movie. Um, and I guess maybe that's because Lee isn't in it. Because there's nothing to distract from his presence and his prowess and, and the things that he does. Um, I don't know. And I think it was a really ballsy move to to make a Dracula movie without Lee in the wake of Horror of Dracula. I I think that speaks to Hammer Studios' willingness. Now, granted, they weren't willing to step away from the title, but they were willing to try something different and push a different element of Dracula, uh, of the Dracula story, than they might otherwise have done. And I kind of wonder, and I don't know this, but I wonder if there was ever talks of just doing stand, like you mentioned standalone Van Helsing movies. I wonder if in the wake of this and the success of this film, if there was ever talks of doing that, or did they just immediately go back to Cushing and say, please do this. (laughs) I wish they had. I really wish that we had gotten a Van Helsing line of films that weren't. I mean, how, how cool would it be to see Van Helsing like fighting different monsters? Yeah. And that's something that I've, always wanted to see and that has been it's rumored from time to time moment by the she, way her smile is, like her rising up she, that is iconic oh my God. one of the most terrifying i think she's one of the the definitive screen vampires agreed look at that that is just utterly those like big utterly. anime eyes and the huge teeth i mean andre melly i think her name was um God. And her eyes, yeah. Practically a Tim Burton character with those eyes. Oh, totally. And has Tim Burton ever talked at length about Hammer? Because I feel like, obviously Dark Shadows was a huge influence on that guy, but Hammer had to have been as well. Oh, there's no question. There, there's no I, way the director I of mean, Sleepy Hollow wasn't a huge Hammer no, Right, well, that's what I'm saying. Sleepy Hollow might as well be a Hammer movie. 
Like in, in my mind, it is. It's like Hammer almost perfected in the modern day. Yes, yes. If that movie had Hammer at the beginning, I would almost like it more. And yeah. I love. <laughs> but just like seeing Hammer play, I, someone should make a cut where it opens with a Hammer logo. <laughs> oh, the, the brand new Hammer logo too. The the like Marvel style logo with all of the poster images flitting yeah. in the background. So I got to tell you, the first time I saw, um, oh, let me in in theaters and they had that logo pop up i was like the only guy in the theater squealing uh, <laughs> just because i loved it so much i'll tell you what jinx if they ever make a new hammer movie and it goes to theaters i will i will travel to see it with you we should see it together yes i will make that i will make that loose. pilgrimage to see it with you opening night that's assuming we can watch assuming it's theaters. safe to do so yeah right assuming the world hasn't ended what is the last Hammer? I think the last Hammer film to have come out was The Lodge. But and as much as I appreciate that movie, there's nothing Hammer about it. You know, there's. Just I, I really like The Lodge, but yeah, I didn't feel like it was Hammer. I was a huge. The Lodge was the one with um, the kid from. Um, was uh, the it, the Good Night Mommy guys right? Yes, and Riley. Yeah, I, I loved The Lodge. It was I really liked it, but it, it was not Hammer or it didn't feel Hammery to me. And they did, fan, though. I mean, what are they, they did the Resonant, which I guess was kind of a throwback to their thrillers. Then they started doing like "Let Me In," still not Hammer, but at least they were doing like "Woman in Black." Kind of worked. The Woman in Black, and then the Woman in Black sequel, I thought were like super hammery. The Quiet Ones, I thought I was surprisingly see, decent. I didn't see Woman in Black too. I have to see it. I I I just didn't see it. I, I, well, surprisingly good. God damn it. I got to check it out. I'll, I'll pick that up next time I get the chance. I'm sure it's cheap. Super, actually genuinely scary. Not cool. as reliant on CG really at all. Like the first one, you know, some of the big really? yeah. the first one. were. Oh, yeah. The first one had a lot of CG, but it was, it was effective. It was a good oh, movie. God, I actually caught that one in theaters. That is just yeah. gorgeous. That is like a comic book panel. It really is, and and I think that speaks again to Terrence Fisher eye, Terrence Fisher's eye for a frame, you know how to engage the senses. And again, every scene like changes its color palette. Like every new set, there's a different sensibility towards color timing. And it's it's very eerie. You know, watching him walk through things. And one thing Fisher constantly makes sure to do is you, you see characters through other things. Like through this grate, behind a candle, you know, behind a behind a, a wall, behind a, a a pillar. There's always something kind of obscuring the vision or in the foreground to kind of create depth. The green light on the bottom. That's... Where is that green light coming from? Why is it green? It doesn't matter, but it adds a splash of color to the scene that makes it more visually dynamic. Can I ask you, could you accept lighting like that in a modern film that wasn't leaning too hard on style over substance? Could you see a movie today with lighting like that? Like, hey, here's a green gelled room for no reason whatsoever. Here is a red gel back here for well, no I, reason I mean, whatsoever, there, and still not be pulled out of it. Like you know, even on the what a, about uh, the guest? The guest does that. Like the guest has really fantastic lighting, and well, and wasn't weird. that kind of like in its own way, like diegetic? Like wasn't that 
you know, I remember the ending where they're moving through the, uh, the, the maze at school, but you know, it's actually a part of the story that the maze was lit like that. Yeah. But there's parties and stuff earlier in the film that has odd lighting. I mean, you could, you could argue it's diegetic for sure, but it still has lighting reminiscent of that. Like, you know, when I see something like creep show, I'm not, I'm not so completely enveloped in the story that I don't realize that it's just, it's all affected in a way, you know, it's all meant to be just style. And I'm wondering like, but here's the thing. I can watch an old hammer movie. And that stuff doesn't really occur to me when I'm wrapped up in it. And I'm wondering, is there a way to do a modern Hammer film with that kind of lighting that wouldn't pull you out? That wouldn't I, I, I think if you lean into the... I think if the, if the movie itself is occurring around that and it, it never acknowledges... It's, it's all wrapped up in its own reality. If it's there consistently throughout the film, I think you accept it. But what I love about this scene is that Cushing's face, whenever they show close-ups of him earlier is is more intense than you know uh peel's face i love that we have a repeat here of the climactic battle from horror of dracula yeah cushing gets choked out yep and then the vampire leans girls like watching excitedly but the difference is is that cushing wasn't playing possum this time around like he's yep. actually out for the <laughs> out for the counts and he gets bitten. Cushing as as a vampire, like Van Helsing as a vampire would be a really interesting movie though. I have yeah. to say. I'd be well, you know, super down for that. You wonder what it would do to him as obviously like a man of God and, you know, right. somebody with obviously like Catholic leanings. You know, it was interesting. I was reading some of the trivia on it and they were saying that the initial ending was meant to be uh, uh, Van Helsing performing this ritual that would have let loose like the bats of hell to carry Meinster away. And yep. Cushing refused because he didn't think that, uh, oh, you know, uh, he didn't feel as though Van Helsing would, you know, do anything too arcane like that, you know, because he's based obviously in, um, yeah, I, I read so about that like too. Christianity. So, but you know, what's great about him for that is that Van Helsing is never portrayed as being any, anything but a good man. You know, he's yeah. not a Matthew Hopkins type that wields Christianity as an excuse to do horrible things or to just kill, which you could imagine a vampire hunter character possibly being something like that. Nor is he like a Sergeant Howie type from the wicker man where, you know, he uses his uh, faith to beat everybody over the head with it, you know, rather it's just, it's just a part of the fabric of who that guy is. And that's what drives him and makes him be a decent man. And like, it's something that we don't see a whole lot these days, I think in heroes and movies. And it's, it's weirdly refreshing, like to watch these older films and see like Cushing playing those notes in a way without seeming too sanctimonious or self-righteous in a way. Yeah. And I like that he refused to do the ending. I like that he had that much in a movie like this. I like that an actor had that much conviction to the character he was playing to say, Hey, you know what? My character wouldn't do this, so I'm not going to do it. And they had to rewrite the entire ending for that purpose. I think that's amazing. Now, granted, they reuse that ending later in a different movie. <laughs> yes, I was uh, reading. Uh, what was it? Uh, Kiss of the Vampire. Kiss, I think. yeah, Kiss of the Vampire has that ending. But um, 
Okay, can no, we I, talk I, about the fact that Van Helsing is doing the coolest thing that anybody has ever done in a vampire movie? Yeah, the this son is pretty of a bitch yeah. gets bitten by a vampire, and instead of turning, he just says, nah. And you get the impression that this is all, like, he's just, like, improvising. He doesn't, I feel like he doesn't know if this is going to work. Like, because yeah. how would he? <laughs> has he ever done this before? I, I can't imagine he has. I think he's just guessing. Like if I if I burn it with iron and I pour holy water on it, that's probably my best bet. Well, I, I love even the brides are kind of like, are we just going to hang out and see what happens? Yeah, let's just see what happens. Yeah, they're watching him really excitedly, and I think that's great. And then like their excitement turning to fear is a really cool choice. And the brides are so creepy, so creepy. Like the the looks on their face, the way the makeup is. Is like the way they kind of hang out and just kind of watch and hang on the rafters. It's reminiscent of Evil Dead to me, like kind of <laughs> like the uh, the Deadites a little bit, like where they're just kind of watching and laughing and smiling. There's an eeriness to it. I love this final confrontation. Sorry if I'm not talking that much. I get wrapped up in this movie every time I see it. You're fine. You're fine. I mean, commentaries are more for watching than talking, so. that's why people tune in they want to hear us quietly watching the movie exactly it'll be like a carpenter commentary that's very much these are all shots very much lifted from you know a classic dracula movie like the close-up of the eyes there's a lot of like commonalities between how this was shot and how horror of dracula was shot but i do like how love his look here yeah like the eye burned away it's great and how easily he sort of bests him in a way, like how how he kind of like is so much stronger than than the count than the Baron, you know, Cushing. Like he is more wherewithal than that character ever did, and part of it is that character's privilege. You know, that character's privilege is his biggest downfall. Um, he's so certain that people will attend to him, that people will back down from him, that he can trick people and sort of manipulate them. That when it comes to actual like prowess and strength, he doesn't hold a candle. This, by the way, is the coolest fucking way of killing a vampire has ever been done ever. in any movie ever. Ever. This is amazing. Any movie ever. Even if it doesn't make a lot of sense, because there should be a building shadow in the middle of that, but it's fine. I love it. I love it so much. Yeah, did guys. Just, like, did if, you just take a drink? I did. I just wanted one. Fair. I did. Fair I appreciate that. I'm, Look at I'm his jump, th- jump there. Drinking. That is totally like Peter Cushing performing his own stunt and killing it. Just leaping yep. off the... Confidently leaping. And my God, yeah. Spinning the, the windmill to make a cross. Love it. And I love that they sort of embrace and he looks at her like he's going to kiss her and then they just kind of hold each other because he's he's doing sort of the right thing. Like he's not he could have taken advantage of that moment and kissed her in the heat of the moment, but he didn't because he knows that that's not the right thing to do. Can I I think that's point out to you and every modern horror filmmaker how good real fire looks here? Yeah, for sure. We, did we forget what real fire looks like and how great it looks? I mean, I barely remember. 
because it's so rarely in movies anymore. It's it it blows my mind. It's the sim- like just. Uh. I I would also like to say that even though I pointed out that the bat doesn't look great at times, I will take that rubber bat over any <laughs> CGI bat in any movie ever. Agreed. I just I don't get this belief that CGI is the way to go. Um, I don't know, man. Anything practical, anything is is ninety nine point nine nine percent going to be better than what you can come up with CGI wise. Yeah, I agree. And, th- and that's it. That's uh, we've uh, we've made it back to the title screen. Rise of Dracula, people. We did yeah. it. Holy I mean, shit! I, I shouldn't I think have... we. Hmm. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have made another drink. Holy shit! We were pretty much well, we out can, of stairs, can, balconies, and carriages by that point. We can still talk. I mean, I guess yeah. there's no law that says you have to hang up right now. We can. Isn't we there? can finish. Is there? I, I mean, am I, I forgetting think... about the hang up law? There could be. I've had too much to drink to remember. I so, feel like I'm. I'm not as sloshed as I have been in the last few weeks with all the damn rum. So there, that's nice. But um, well, and also you. You didn't employ the ultimate rule, which kills you, which is going in and out of rooms. <laughs> that rule is the cruelest drinking game rule of all time, and I and you can rest assured it will come back someday. <laughs> as long as it's not a stone IPA, we're good. You know, you're you you're too hard on beer, but I, I will say, I do agree. That when we drink beer, we don't get drunk enough. I agree with that because I, I just like the taste of beer. Yeah. You know, it's it's what I like. But uh, you know, I've 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 adapted to your hard alcohol beliefs, and uh, I think I've done a good job. I've bought in. Yeah, oh. I'd agree. I'll uh, I'll keep drinking here. We can uh, we can talk about some stuff. What do you what do you want to chat about, Paul? Paul, I feel like even though we talked about Joker and Twilight a bit, we didn't run so completely far off the rails that I started talking about personal life stuff, and I think that's a win. Yeah, I I, I mean, look, this episode had its ups and downs, right? I, I think maybe like maybe the end of each episode should be like a post game chat about how we felt like commentary <laughs> went. <laughs> I feel like we, we do we've only failed in regards to like, what are we using as a, as a yardstick here? We're using two faces of Dr. Jekyll, which I think was us hitting on all cylinders pretty well. If yeah. you compared this commentary with every other one that we've done, not including two faces, I think it stands up pretty well. I would agree in the end. I think we, we, we had a pretty big fucking tangent with with Joker and and Twilight, um, and that went on for a little long, I think. But well, I think it just seemed that. long because you were talking about Twilight. Okay. You know what? You gotta give me a break on that one because I feel Ooh. that I was pressured into that conversation, and and frankly, uh, I don't think it's that controversial. I imagine there's a lot of people out there who like to watch Twilight because it's entertaining. Not because it's good. Paul, there there are plenty of teenage girls who love that movie. If they listen, okay, you know, in, the, in two thousand eight, if you were a teenage do girl, you those listen movies to the, the I worked podcast. at a 
Oh, you just, you know, I worked at a movie theater. I know this to be fact. Uh, I know what, what that audience wants. Do you know what Screen Drafts is? The podcast uh, Screen Drafts. I've heard of it. It's a very good podcast. It's very popular. I'm not the only one to listen to it. And they have a they have a uh, a Patreon, and they recently drafted the Twilight series. Okay. And they basically echo my thoughts. And they are very prominent film podcasters so i'm not crazy other people agree with me that it's hey paul it's, paul it's, are you really using that as a defense when joker made a billion dollars at the box office if we want to try and back ourselves like with look, large audiences who like i'm not like you know, the, the police are... of joker oh, right. i'm not saying like oh well everyone that likes <laughs> joker is dumb i i was just more saying that it didn't do a lot for me but i i also am not a big superhero movie guy I don't love superhero movies. I'm not, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up reading the comics. I, I like them, but I'm not like, you know, they're not my favorite Paul, thing. Paul, that just means that you haven't found a comic right for you. Because here's the thing. There is a comic book for everybody. Doesn't mean it's superhero. You may not like superhero, I, but there are plenty. Of I always like the X-Men things. I like the X-Men, but you know, even, uh, you know what? Yeah. I like the X-Men films. I oh, like I one. love. They're my I favorites. love two. Like if I had to pick a favorite, the third well, was terrible. Uh, yeah. Origins Wolverine was not the worst because it came after X Men Three. But then, I mean, come on, First Class, Days of Future Past, uh, the oh, Dead Days Wolf of Future Flicks, Past was amazing. I, the I Wolverine, love. fucking Logan. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll I'll say this. Logan was good. Yeah, I even like X Men. I, I, I love those. Movies. I like those movies more than I like a lot of the Marvel movies, to be honest. But that's just because I have more of a, a personal affinity for X-Men because I grew up watching that cartoon show. And I used to that's... collect the uh, the little cards and stuff. So, do, like, do, I kind of just... Do, 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 yeah, do, do, right. Do, do, do. But my favorite, I mean, if I was going to tell you my favorite comic book movie, it would be Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2. That's my favorite. That's up there. That's definitely that is my longest number one, that hands down, unquestionably, my favorite comic book movie. Um, and I love it because it is one of the greatest comic book movies ever made followed by one of the worst comic book movies ever made. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I don't, I didn't realize I tried watching Spider-Man three again, probably about a, I want to say it was right before Venom came out. So obviously Venom shows up in Spider-Man three. I was like, you know what? I'm going to revisit it before the Tom Hardy movie, just to see, you know what it's, how it goes. There are sections of it that are actually, and I'm not making this up. I'm not being hyperbolic here borderline unwatchable to me that's interesting yeah i i i don't i mean i don't think it's good i when i saw it i hated it i thought it was like the worst movie one of the worst movies i've ever seen in a theater emo spider-man the dancing in the streets like the what the yeah was he doing that's that's all bad You know, it's, yeah, I don't know. I it, Well, that was a confluence of issues because the studio, the studio pushed for certain things that Raimi didn't want to do. And Venom. Then, if you pull everything Venom related out of that movie, including the black symbiotic costume, it becomes a better movie. But you know what? Like everyone's always like, well, Raimi didn't know how to handle Venom because he was a fan of the Stan Lee, Steve Ditko era. So he understood the Green Goblin. He understood Doc Ock. Yeah. He understood. But you know yeah, what? Doc you watch that great. movie, the Sandman stuff is still really bad. 
But is it bad because it's inherently bad, or is it bad because he never fleshed it out? Because if Venom wasn't in the movie, he could have had more time to actually give attention to that that story point. Having the Sandman's final scene, basically looking at his shoes while he shuffled them and kind of sort of apologized and we're meant to feel sorry for him and we're meant to think that Peter is just going to be okay with that before he flies off into a sandstorm is maybe the most insulting thing in that movie and that movie is full of many insulting things yeah I don't know I and again I never I'm not big enough in the comics to be able to comment on it but uh no I just mean by virtue of the, the film itself like that's yeah he, he he killed Peter's uncle. Like, I, yeah, you know, I don't know that I love that bit of retconning. I, I don't know. Oh, it, oh that was bad, too. Absolutely. I, it, it's it, and that's maybe why. I don't know. I don't know. Either way. Uh, yeah. OK, so let me ask to, you this. I'm going to I'm going to try and bring it back to the commentary. Because me, I love it when I love it when we digress. But I, I I'm sensing you're having some issues with it. So I'm going to. I'm going to drag us back here. You ready for this? I'm Let's ready. Dive ready. back in the hammer. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to bridge yep. comic book movies to hammer. You ready for this? Can't wait. Would you have dug a shared cinematic universe of hammer films? Would even you know even Universal did that. Universal did the monster mashups, right? But Hammer never did. So would you have liked to have seen like Chris Lee's Dracula mix it up with, uh, you know, Peter Cushing's uh, Frankenstein, you know, or at least, I mean, I I think the reason, the reason they didn't do that was because they used the same staple of actors. Ah, but, but Kevin Smith gets away with that 30 years later by just saying, I don't give a shit. I'm just gonna, yeah, like 30% of the people in my universe look like Ben Affleck. What of it? (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, but at the time they probably weren't thinking. I mean, yeah, but yes, I would love that. I would love to see, and a part of me, honestly, just sees those movies as coexisting. Like I kind of just perceive them as already like as existing in each other's universes. You know what I mean? Like I, even though that's never expressed in the plots all of those worlds feel the same you know one of these one of these days i'm going to write a screenplay that is actually set within that world and draws together all those characters and i promise um, oh by the way i promise you when i write it i will send it to you a year ago i was gonna say (laughs) i almost done reading it oh bullshit yes I've, really? I've read most of it. Yep. I just, I was going to wait till I finished it to actually talk to you about it, but I, I have been reading it. I know I promised I'd read it by last week, but I have been reading it. So you can't, you can't be fully mad at me because I actually have been reading it and I'm really digging it. Oh, thanks. Man. Um, it was, it's it was super good, but um, I loved, I actually really liked the opening quite a bit, um, but I'll, I was going to, when I finish it, I was going to talk to you more about it because I'm not done yet. But I've been reading it like in chunks, like whenever I have a free moment. But I have been reading it, and it's good. That's fair, and I thank you. You know, I really want to hire like a handful of actors and just do like a reading of it 
and just post that as like a podcast or something. I, the fucking thing is never getting made. Like I, I placed in the top 10 of screenplays, like with, uh, are you familiar with like the screencraft? Like the, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they do loads of different genres, but they did horror one year. And back in 20, I want to say 2015, 2016, I placed in the top 10 and I actually got a couple of bites, and the one bit of feedback that I got from everybody was, hey, so this is a really great writing sample, but nobody would ever make this movie. <laughs> then I found this, uh, so <laughs> there is a uh, an English film producer that I follow on Twitter who does like, uh, he has his own line of horror movies. And they're like lower budgeted things, but it's clear that he's like a Hammer fan. And uh, so I reached out, and sure enough he was, and I was like, would you have any interest in reading this? I know, look, I'm not repped or anything. He was like, yeah, no, send it along. And he got back to me. I'm not making this up. And his response was pretty much the same. He was like, this movie would never be made. <laughs> and he was like, "You $60 million gothic horror films just aren't a thing. And he was like, so I can't make it, but I appreciate that you let me read it. And I was like, thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah. It's, it's, huh, I hear you. I mean, I, I, yeah, I've written a couple screenplays that I've gotten feedback, not quite that much praise because my writing's not as good, but um, I've heard things like, this is really great, but you got to think about what could be realistically be made and things like that. And I'm like, oh, okay. But I, I think that's the beauty of writing. I mean, like when you're writing, you, you don't have budget constraints. You can write whatever you want, you know, and I think you should. And I think the sky's the limit when you're writing. Um, well, that's funny because when I was writing, I, up until that point, I took like the Robert Rodriguez, Kevin Smith route, just like writing what I could possibly make myself. But I was also interested well, yeah. in whatever festival and nothing like I never got even like even a little bit of interest. And I, I happened to go through like a big hammer phase around 2008, 2009. And that's when I started like blocking out the story. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm never going to be able to make this movie. What would I want to see on screen? And I just wrote to my heart's content, and that probably got me the most attention I've ever gotten. Now, I, I guess I overshot because, again, it will never be made. But yeah, I'm, I'm half tempted. I kid you not. If, if I ever get sixty million dollars, I'm giving it to you to make that movie. Just you know, like I'm making that pledge right now. Every time the lottery gets to like a billion dollars. I start playing, and in my mind, I have all these plans, like what I'm going to do with the money. And making that son of a bitching movie is definitely, definitely on the plate there. So that's amazing. But up, you know, I've actually gotten to the point where I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to write the thing as a novel. Self publish. Oh, that, that would be a really good idea, dude. You should do that. I just, I want to, because I. I love. I'm very curious to see what you think about the ending because I holy shit! I can't believe I'm talking about my own stuff on a commentary for a <laughs> Hammer film. Now we're we're moving on. All I'm saying is I'm curious to see what you think about That's the good, ending. Guys, trust me, I we didn't collaborate the, about this, <laughs> and I, and I can, dude, I can totally relate to you because like when I was in film school, um, I had somebody reach out to me, my, and it was like, hey, we want to make a movie. You're the best writer we know in our class. Like, we write it. And they're like, but here's the caveat. You got to write it cheap. <laughs> and so I had to, I had to purposefully write a cheap zombie movie, like knowing that they couldn't, you know, spend any more money on it. And then I wrote a sequel and I wrote a third one. And as I went, by the time I got to the third one, I was like, I'm just going to write the zombie movie. I wish I could watch. 
and I'm not going to think about budget because this is never going to get made. But like, I I wrote a big, huge zombie epic, and uh, I'm really proud of it. I think it's one of the better things I've written. But I I also went in knowing like this is almost just for me. <laughs> You know, it took me like a two years to write it, but it was like, it's a thing that's kind of just for me. But I think that's kind of what you have to do when you're writing screenplays. You have to write, you have to get that stuff out of your system and then just continue. You got to just keep writing, you know? So I wonder, okay, so where, what is your ultimate goal for those screenplays now? Because... Me? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> would you I, would you ever consider just putting them out in the wild so people could check sure, them out? Or I, I mean, they're they're just sitting on a hard drive. I mean, no one's ever going to make them. I talked to somebody. I'm sorry. A... I'm sorry. Wait, 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 wait. They're not going to make them at all. I, like, none of I don't them. Know. I mean, none of them will have ever been made. Cares about what I have to say. <laughs> Come on, Paul. Tell people. Tell people your deep dark secret here. Deep dark secret. I. The first one got made, but like the the other two are never going to hear people. You may have seen some hints here and there on Twitter, but the fact is, is that co-host Paul Farrell here, in fact, wrote a produced movie that you yeah. could buy well, at one point. That's true. At your local FYE and Walmart and Best Buy, you can order it off of Amazon right now. Paul, please tell them about it. Yeah. Oh. Paul. <laughs> uh, Paul. Uh, I mean, you it's called. You Farm. made a movie. <laughs> it was made in 2010. Um, it's called Farm. Oh God, it's the God. It's a 10 year anniversary. Shit, I didn't even think about that. Um, the Scream Factory Special Edition now. Yeah, sure. It's it's uh it's a very it's basically a student film kind of because it was a bunch of students. Um, and we just, we were really fed up and we wanted to make our own thing and we're like, fuck it, we'll just do it. And so I was contacted to write a screenplay and I, I wrote one and we got it made and, uh, it was really hard (laughs) and it was really expensive and it took God, everything that could possibly go wrong went wrong. Um, I mean, you know, I, they, they challenged me. They're like, Hey, write a, write a zombie movie. And I was like, okay, I could do this. I was like, well, what, what's every zombie movie about? And, you know, if you think about most zombie movies, it's, it's kind of, well, it's these people kind of struggling to survive at the outbreak of a zombie apocalypse or during a zombie apocalypse, you know, whatnot. And I was like, well, wouldn't it be interesting if maybe it was what if it was a couple people who were like very well equipped to survive something like an apocalypse and just kind of managed to and what would their day-to-day be like later on so rather than setting it at like the beginning of a zombie apocalypse i set it like a year and a half in and it was instead of like people sort of struggling and barely keeping it together, it was like, well, here's these two brothers. They live on an isolated farm. They're already fairly self-sustaining and they just kind of live their life. <laughs> and I was like, well, that would be cool. Cause then like, you know, spoiler alert, I guess uh, the first like 15 minutes or so, my goal was like, you're just watching these 
these brothers on this farm and you just kind of think like, oh, well, this is probably like a drama or something because there's no real uh, threat because you don't necessarily see zombies everywhere and um, they're just kind of doing what they do. And then as it goes, things are off, you know, the brothers kind of disfigured you don't know why. And they're acting kind of odd and sort of jaded and, uh, you know, and as it goes, you kind of learn more about the past. So a lot of the movie is beneath the surface. So I kind of wanted it to be sort of a tip of the iceberg movie. And then as it goes, you learn more about the past. And I thought that would be a cool driving force to keep people interested in what is otherwise a fairly low rent, you know, inexpensive movie. <clears throat> and building up to some slightly larger set pieces that we could probably afford um, and make it more emotional. I really wanted it to be like an emotional story. And so on the page, that's kind of what it is. And uh, we made it. <laughs> and, you know, when you make an independent film, you have to cast it and get people to do it for what is basically free. And that's difficult. Uh, and then you have to find a location. And that was a whole circle of hell. And then you have to rent equipment because we didn't have equipment. We had to rent expensive cameras and lights. And, oh, man, it was it was a whole to-do. Uh, fell apart three or four times while filming it. But we finally made it. We sold it to a company called Green Apple Entertainment. And now this thing is on Blu-ray across the whole fucking world. Germany has a 3D release of it. And let me tell you, we did not shoot this movie in 3D, but there is a 3D Blu-ray out there that is sold in Germany from a different company because these small companies then resell these films and the original creators don't get any money for that. So What the hell? Oh, it's fucking ridiculous. Trust me, it's a whole thing, dude. Um, you could literally go on to... Like Amazon UK, Amazon Germany, Amazon Canada. You can find my movie uh, that I own. Like, like we own the script. We like I have the copyrights for all these things. Other companies sell this movie, and like I can't imagine they wouldn't. They would be doing that. And there's like cover art and synopses and all kinds of stuff that like we didn't make, we didn't write, we didn't sign off on. And they like, like I said, they converted it into 3D. <laughs> Have you have you seen the movie in 3D? Uh my brother bought it. Yeah. <laughs> he called me. He was like, so I bought your movie in 3D. I was like, you son of a bitch. And he's like, it looks terrible. <laughs> Cause again, we didn't shoot the movie in 3D. I can't imagine it looks very good. But it's crazy that it, you know, the the once you sell your movie, it and really it's more signing off on the film to somebody to distribute it. Because they, I mean, it went into every, fa at the time it sold, it went into every family video in the country, two copies. Every family video had two copies. So that means that was like over 4,000 DVDs. Even at a cheap price, that's a pretty decent amount of money. I was going to ask, was the movie ultimately a success for you all? For us, absolutely not. Because they, have you ever heard the story? that Universal claims that Back to the Future never actually made money. Oh, Have yeah, I've heard the thing, like, the dodgy Hollywood, like, yeah, uh, so, accounting so, where no movie ever makes any money, ever. 
Yep. So that's that's where it is. Is the studio goes well? We will pay you once the movie starts making money. And guess what? <laughs> it never makes money, which doesn't make sense because they basically paid nothing for it. Yeah, there are are there not like long running franchises where it's like, well, the first movie never made money, but we still decided to go ahead and make three or four sequels. I'm telling you, dude, like and I I don't I don't want to sound like dour and I don't want to like be a complainer, but the independent movie circuit is a very difficult place to exist. And when you put your own money into it, you start to realize like Unless you have some sort of guarantee of financial return or you're doing it all yourself, like you distribute yourself and you have a big enough fan base that, you know, you can go on road shows or whatever it is, which obviously my college friends and I didn't have. Um, you're not going to make money doing it like you're going to spend money doing it. and you do it because you love it. Which is fine. I think I I feel that that's I'm very glad we did it because it's something I always wanted to do. It's really cool that I made a movie. I mean, I can go to my Blu-ray shelf and pull out my movie and play it. That's cool. Regardless of whether it's good or bad or whatnot, like I can do that and I'm proud that I can do that. And not for nothing, I just looked up on Amazon. It's called The Farm Survived the Dead, 3D (laughs) Blu-ray Special Edition, which uh, survive the dead is not a tagline we ever assigned to it. Uh, German DTS HD 5.1 <laughs> aspect ratio 235 to one. Let me read a, uh, uh, I want to do this drunk, Don't. by the way. Let me read a review. Ready? Achtung auf der Blu-ray befindet sich nach love of my life als bonus film. Den ich my leader ach bestelt hab. Lighter weird man Nick Darof Hengweisen Nick Mal off them cover. There's that not real 3D HD bonus film. It hab none beide af Gerson und Han. I don't know what any of that means, but it sounded passionate. So all I'm saying, Jenks, is uh, 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 the people in the horror community that did review it tended to like it. Random <laughs> people who watched it tended to not like it. As I said, it's basically a student film. It's very slow, but I'm proud of what we did. And I think this, I feel proud of my screenplay. And I wrote two follow up screenplays that I'm also very proud of uh, that I did forward along to you so you can read it at your leisure if you so choose. Well, you've, um, but... you've read mine, or you've just about read mine, so that means I got to dive into yours. And next week, we're going to talk more about your zombie trilogy because I, <laughs> I have... feel really. Uh, not... I do want to. I do want to invite on. Because I don't uh, think I'm a good writer to warrant a conversation. You're oh, bullshit. Anybody who's read your stuff knows you're a good writer. Now, I will invite on, as a bonus guest, uh, reviewer M.S. who writes, <laughs> There will schlecht test the film of 18 din ich de jay gehis on gaba. Hey, man, look. FSK 10, what are the hitter will best possible? to talk to us. Send in all of your questions via Twitter. <laughs> it's it, i could i mean there's a lot of stories regarding that movie so someday i'll tell them if someone's actually interested in hearing them but yeah i don't know i don't think anyone really cares <laughs> the trend s writes 
Grotenschlachter. You are you are eating this shit up. Hey, I think Farm is on Patreon. If anyone wants to watch it, I think it's next work. Jesus. Okay. Yes, I made a movie. I'm sorry. I'm not claiming I'm I'm good. It's just a thing that happened. <laughs> but hey, we all we all have our hobbies, don't we? I make lots of short. I make short films every year. So really? it's yes. not like the only thing I've ever told me about that too. I, I'm sure many people would like to check those out too. You know, at a certain point, the more we talk about this stuff, the more I think we should. Uh, maybe on the website or something like that, we should actually maybe post some stuff for people to check out. I'll tell you what, if people, when we post this, if people actually give a shit and want to see it, I'll put out the links. I will put my short films up. I'll let people watch them. They're not great, but hey, they're fun. I have fun making them. There's a couple I'm pretty proud of. I guess, you know, in closing, the only thing I have to say is, Est is eigenlacht eine Frechtet sowas verkaufen zu dürfen? Does that mean that The Brides of Dracula is a great movie? Uber eins von der meiner Seite gestorben. Man, this was... Es gibt this is like the most off the rails we've ever gone. <laughs> this is like new territory. <laughs> I saw the word in the gesprochen, niemand versteht was die meinen. I'm People having in a Germany blast. hate the farm. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, there's no the, by the way. It's just farm. We we have lost all of our German listeners. They oh, they are they're deeply upset right now. All of them are gone. And again, no the, just farm. All all zwei of them, uh, we have lost. Um. <laughs> Okay, we are uh, holy shit! How far into this commentary are we? You know, the sad thing is, is that this... these commentaries is that? <laughs> I, don't I don't even know if that's a fair title. <laughs> I think we might need to change <laughs> our, our wording. I don't think no, these are commentaries. No, 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 no. You know what? We 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 book in the commentaries with extra. Uh, this, I want to. I want to call it. This is this is Patreon content. Right I, I want to call it added value. Um, this is it. You know, sure. there there is a commentary. It is a drunken commentary. And not for nothing, I think for having been drunk, we do provide decent commentaries. Yeah, uh, we do. We're smart. We we can put we can string words together and say things that make sense. Are you pouring another drink? Yeah, why the fuck not? I'm not going I'm to... supposed to be the lush here. What the hell? I told you, like when you get me started, I don't stop. Right, I get how... my ass out. We Okay, you know what? I'm not even cutting this episode short. What the hell? What do we want to talk about? We're just gonna oh, invite man. listeners. Keep it going. Uh, okay. Yeah. Are you yeah. drinking well, still? Well, you think about it. okay, so my laptop is at fifteen percent, so we're just gonna keep oh, going until it dies. Because here's the thing, I'm gonna let listeners in on a little secret. Generally Monday nights, Paul and I just keep talking after the episode we, ends. We go deep. We go to midnight usually. Yeah, that's, now that's my expectation. Now, now here's the thing: we can't repeat everything that we normally do for something that's going to be on air, lest we be, lest we be sued. Um, but uh, <laughs> I like I, I like you would think people care that much about what we have to say. Oh, I but, think I, yeah, I, I think yeah. I would probably you you know that I would probably catch hell. That's uh, you fine. you would be fine. I would probably you know more than I do. Well, that's because I don't. You know, nobody cares about what I have to say. I, I'm just I'm you know, who am I? 
I'm oh, just I disagree. You're you're fishing for compliments now. Drunk me. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm really not trying to. I, and if I am, I take it back. I take it back. You're right. I'm I, great. No, 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 no. I do it all the time. <laughs> well, I, you know, you're right. I shouldn't have said that. That was dumb. No, it's all fine. right. So, yeah, so uh, no judgment. We're drunk. It's fine. We are a little drunk. I'm not going to lie. And I just poured another drink. Holy shit! I'm still finishing my 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 last I, one that I I have pretty good tolerance. I I don't I, I drink a lot of beer because that's that tends to be what I prefer taste wise. I don't know. I I feel like yeah. I figure if you could drink a lot of beer, you could drink anything. You know what, Jinx? Yeah. I'm, I'm not here for you to shit on beer. That's not. I'm not okay with that. It's, Beer's it, amazing. No, it's and, just terrible. All... But beer, you can control your level of drunkenness too a little bit easier with beer. Because I will it's... say something that I learned that I never realized before uh, over the course of the past three episodes is that I, I know my limits with li- bleh, yeah. I know my limits with whiskey and scotch and bourbon and whatnot and uh, various mixed drinks. What I found over the course of the last three episodes is that. I, I, rum will surprise you. I can, I could drink a lot of rum and not feel even the least bit of buzz. And then it, and then all of a sudden, kapow. Sneaks up on you. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I do feel like I got drunker off of the rum than I have off of, of um, the Long Island mix. Oh, week, week one, I was hurting. Like I was, I was, and I was fine. Here's that. What for the first hour of that commentary, I was like, "Oh, this is not bad at all." And then, probably the final ten minutes, I was like, "I can't see. Um, I'm in pain." What What movie so, was that? What was the first movie we did rum with? I think it was to... Revenge of Frankenstein. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was the one where you had to like cut it real short at the end of the movie. It was like oh, the movie. The end, end, I was like. And you're like, yeah. okay, I'm leaving. Bye. It's like, okay. And, and here's the thing: I did not, and I will say this, like, because I this is a point of pride. I can drink so many people under the table, uh, you know, bar wise, both Southern Ohio and here in Florida, Sarasota. I can hold my liquor that night. That amount of rum in me did not get sick. Got real close, real close. I have, I've not. Yeah, I mean, I haven't gotten sick from drinking in a long time. I had a $500 bar tab in Sarasota one night. $500? Yes. Jesus. And at, this is at a normal bar, Smoking Joe's. Uh, mind you, about $40 of that was cigars. But still, uh, and myself <laughs> and a buddy of mine. And I've never thing, smoked I'm, a cigar, by the way. No, here's never. the thing. I hate, I hate, I despise the smell of cigarettes despise it if you can find a good cigar they're just marvelous uh there's what's great is smoking joe's in sarasota it's this long bar uh the um oh the uh sorry cut out there for a second um But the uh, there's a long bar. There is a great bartender named Katie. And then there is like this uh, section set off to the side where you can step in. It's like temperature controlled. And you can buy any number of cigars, different various types, uh, ranging from you could spend like two bucks on a cigar or you could spend like 50 bucks on a cigar, depending on what you choose. 
And uh, you just hang out in the bar and smoke and drink and to your to your heart's content. And me, I found a favorite cigar in a mocha cigar. I forget the brand, uh, mm. but they were delicious, fantastic, fantastic cigars. Uh, but yeah, yeah, no, there was about a. I spent about a half a grand on one Saturday when I was matching a friend shot for shot, and I uh, he got sick on the streets of Sarasota uh, at about two thirty a.m. and I did not, and I still hold that over him. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing is like, that, yeah, no, I mean, he, he would, he would do me the same. So, you know, I figured, I figured right. uh, and that was the second time that, that happened because a mutual friend about a month before that, we did the same thing. It's actually what led to the second round because he was certain he could beat me where, uh, my other pal could not. Uh, but you know what, out of all the stuff that I had that night, whether it was uh mixed drinks or tequila or whiskey or any number of things, uh, I tried uh, apple pie shots, which are surprisingly delicious. The one thing that I didn't have was rum, Paul. And uh, mm. so, so rum is kind of like my drinking kryptonite. I've I've discovered. It's interesting to know. I'm surprised you revealed that to the whole world just now. But I guess oh, at, at this point in the commentary, anyone that's actually listening is is a friend. I think, <laughs> I think they're a friend of you and I. If they've made it this far. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Okay, so okay, I've revealed so what has knocked me on my ass. I gotta ask you then, what is the drunkest you have ever been? Ooh. Um All right. Well, in college, uh so I've always been a beer guy, as I told you. Um, but there was a time, there was a there was a time in my life where I discovered that I had a pretty good tolerance for alcohol. And I could drink hard liquor and handle it pretty well. So I had another buddy who was a big hard alcohol guy. And one day he was kind of like, hey, let's uh, let's go drinking and go to some parties. And he's like, before we go, let's uh, let's go get some liquor and drink it and, you know, kind of have a good pregame going. So we went to the liquor store. We bought a bottle, a fifth of 100 proof Soko. And we took it home. And in about 20 minutes, we went shot for shot and just killed the bottle, drank the whole bottle. And that was like my base for the evening, which was not the smartest thing to do. Um, and then we went to I would, I would argue that was a very smart thing to do. Well, we went to a party, you know, we drank more and I just, I just kept taking shots and it kept getting worse and worse and worse and finally but weirdly i wasn't feeling it and we went to the next party and the, we went to a room and we sat down i sat down on a couch right and i was fine and i remember i sat down and like as i hit the couch cushion and i looked you know like that feeling of when you're sitting down only the room kept tilting upwards <laughs> And so when I was sitting on the couch, the room just started like flipping and I was like, oh, and I grabbed the, you know, the couch handle next to me and I was like trying to hold on to steady myself. And everyone's like, what's wrong with you? Probably looked like I was on a roller coaster and the room just kept spinning. And so I made my way to a bathroom and, uh, you know, the rest is history. But uh, it was it was a rough night. And after that, I kind of decided, okay probably not a great idea to just focus on shots and i stuck more to beer after that 
because as I said, beer is a little bit more controllable. You know, it's not super high alcohol content. I like the taste, you know, so I can kind of control how it drunk is the, I am. Uh, it's kind of like the twilight of alcohol. Well, that's one way of putting it. Um, <laughs> By the way, I, I just read something that makes me deeply sad. Uh, <laughs> What's that? I'll tell you. Well, you know, it occurred to me as you were talking, I was like, you know, when the world goes back to normal, fingers crossed, God willing, it would be neat to round out this podcast by either going to a convention and doing a live episode with like an audience, like drinking with everybody. That would be very interesting. (laughs) Projecting like the final Hammer movie, whatever that would be. Maybe that would be... uh, I, I don't think The Lodge would be, like, a good movie to no, get drunk honestly, tonight. But maybe, like, a... I think the final... I think, like, it would be the end of the initial run. It, it would be a late 70s... Yeah. Like, Dracula 80 to 72. Not Satanic Rites. We want to end on a positive note. But <laughs> with an audience, you know. But here's the thing. The second the idea that I had... It's like, what if we did like a YouTube episode, like actually filmed that we could pull the audio, we could post it as a, an episode, but what if we could actually go to Bray studios and, and shoot, like just put up a media projector, actually do a quick walkthrough, sit down and do an episode together. Right. Well, Paul, wait, I just read on Wikipedia. Are you ready for this? Yeah, I'm ready. (sighs) Sale and demolition 2014 (gasps) to present. In what? 2014, Hendricks announced his intention to sell the site, explaining that it was not economically viable, citing competition from the studios at Pinewood and Shepparton, as well as Bray's location in a green belt. He sold the complex to a property development company who submitted a planning application in 2015 for luxury apartments and demolition of the soundstage buildings. Demolition <gasps> began in no. 2017. Oh, no. Sons of bitches. That should have been like... Bray Studios, that should that should stand for all time. That's yep. crazy. And what's crazy that is, is there was... so disappointing to hear. Anyway, next time we will be cut. Holy shit, Paul. Hey, you know what? You you handled the opening of this episode. You're gonna have to tell us what we're watching next week, pal. I don't remember. What's next week? <laughs> oh god, I'm at two percent power here. Come on, man. Let's see. Uh, uh... <laughs> Okay, entertain the... Uh, come on, dance ball. Dance okay. while I look this um, up. So, next week on Hammer, we will be watching a movie that I absolutely adore. It's super good. Um, it's very gothic. Uh, it has many of the trappings of the classic Hammer films that you might imagine. Um, it is the... Dance ball. Something of something. Wow. Really? I don't know what it is. Some okay. sort of Frankenstein uh, movie or what is it? I can't find the damn list, Paul. What's going on here? I can't find the list. This is great. This is, this this is, is what terrible. our listeners tune into. This okay. is what they want. This is the quality content that they're looking for. You know what? I'm at 1%. I got to run so I can actually download this episode. Folks, we will see you next week. Don't know what we're talking about yet, but you can guarantee <laughs> it'll probably be great. And there will be more so alcohol in fine with our <laughs> Until next week, thanks so much and have a great weekend. Uh, You're all wonderful. That- <laughs>